So you've got two excellent players, two excellent lists. I mean that that's the that's the dream, right? And I don't think it didn't sound like they were any real drama or anything. Yeah. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that travels so you don't have to, but as we've said before, you should. I'm your host, Rob. And I'm Kevin. And we are here in Las Vegas at Bally's for the Las Vegas Open 2020. Three days, well, technically three and a, and like a quarter, because if you count the uh, Thursday yeah. night preview. Well, and they had registration open for like five yeah. to nine. So the hall, the dealer room was open. So yeah, so we say three and a quarter days. Yeah. Uh, three and a uh, shadow day. Three and a shadow day of uh, <laughs> uh, Warhammer, f- uh, or just ro- uh, wargaming goodness. Yeah. I, there's a, uh, yeah, actually, that's it's, something I noticed that I, I don't think I noticed quite as much when I went two years ago, is that, you know, we come here for the, uh, you know, for the big Warhammer 40k tournaments and, like, the friendly tournament and things like that. And so we tend to kind of fixate on Las Vegas Open. It's a big 40k event. Right. But... I have lost track of the number of people I've seen who are like dedicated X-wing players. Uh, you know, Bolt Action, you know, Warlord Games was here with a tournament. Uh, Mal- they had Malifaux, Infinity. They had a whole separate room set aside for like War Machine and Hordes. Yeah, it, there's just well, a lot of. St- it's definitely, it's definitely a case of you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Um, there's more attendees. There's more higher profile. More people are playing games. GW is a very good entry game. Yes. So more people are playing 40k kill team, which then leads them inevitably down the rabbit hole to bolt action, to war, you know, war, uh, war machine, infinity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like people play games and then they start playing other games. So that just more players means more players for all of those games. Yes. So it's you know the main hall where uh, the dealers room and like some of the other smaller games are set up, um, which is separate from like the main 40k hall. Two years ago was half full most of the time. Like, you could easily find tables in there. Uh, last year, it was a lot busier. This year, there's not an open table. Yeah. Like, there's stuff going on everywhere. Yeah. And then there's more, you know, we'll talk about it later, but there's more stuff up in the sky view. There's more stuff up in other ballrooms. Um, stuff that we haven't even seen because it's not central to the, you know, it's not in the central convention area. But I've seen people, you know, going up the elevators and go to a, ba- you know, ballroom H and do yeah. this and... So there's just so much going on that it's it's truly become it's truly become a convention, you know, and not just a 40k tournament. Yeah, uh, absolutely, which is, which is awesome. And also something I wanted to bring up, uh, we had been talking about this a bit off air, uh, but I I saw an interesting stat. Now, granted, this is going to be related to magic and specifically yep. commander magic, which we talked a little bit about at the end of our last episode during the morale phase. Uh, but, um, saw an interesting stat, and apparently this comes straight from data that Wizards of the Coast has collected through various, like, survey groups, uh, studying, like, gamer habits and things like Mm -hmm. that. And the average commander player, and I'd say commander is a, is a format that time-wise is similar to 40k, and it takes, like, it can take two to three hours to play a game easily. Yep. Um, the average, uh, commander player plays... Three hours a month. 
And this spawned a, a whole conversation over on Magic Twitter uh, of people being like, well, the people I see, like, my group and I play four four times a week or, you know, four nights a week. We play multiple yeah. games or, you know, hey, I, I, I see these people at Friday Night Magic and they're constantly playing, you know, they play every week. And it's like, so that can't possibly be the average. And I think the thing we tend to forget is we are not the average player necessarily. The people who are attending this event. We are the, all above average. No. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just yeah, yeah. It, well, even like no. those of us who are sitting here talking <clears throat> about 40K or yeah. listening. Yeah. We are not, you know, we if, may just be the, t- we're really the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Like clicking, not even like what we're doing to engage and like come to an event and record a podcast and make content. Just going through the extra steps of finding a podcast and clicking download and, and listening to this you're engaging beyond more than just the average person that engages in 40K. Yeah. So it's like, that's the thing. Like, we all have this assumption that, like, oh, everybody plays like me. They have the same habits that I do. They, you know, they play two games a month. They play three times a week. They do this. And most people, and and I've kind of experienced this personally this past couple of years, you know, I've played 10 games of 40K in the last, like, calendar year. Like, it's, it's just been one of those things where my schedule has been different. You know, I'm not necessarily, you know, in a, I'm in a newish area. So it's like, it's harder to get games in. I'm busier. And it's like, I'm one of the people that I think is pretty highly engaged. And like, I don't play as much as I want. So I, I guarantee there's people out there that, you know, buy products and play in their garage every so often, paint, assemble, but don't, you know, so it's like... Engagement in the hobby is a lot different for everybody. Yeah. And, so, uh, and, and I, I do think it's, you know, we'll never know for sure because GW will never release the sales figures and the numbers for that. Yeah. But I, I completely, it's completely believable to me that the average, the average player. Yeah. And average is a tricky word. He is word finger here, quoting you know, se- severely. A- here. Average is a tricky word because that average is brought up or brought down by, you know, the person who plays zero games, all the people that play zero games and all the people that play a dozen games a week can skew those averages. I bet, but, you know, the average or the mean or whatever, yeah, once a month probably makes sense. That seems like that's about right. Yeah. So, and the reason I just bring that up is just to remember that whether or not you can come to an event like this does not necessarily make you any more or less of a 40K fan. Um but it is a cool event to come to. Oh, but I sure. think it was just – for me, it was a very eye-opening stat. And it was something I didn't even think about because – also, I think because we have been going to events, competitive events, for several years now. And we see the same people. And in fact, we just wandering around outside the hotel, we kept running into yeah. people that we have met – from other events and you know we're walking around the uh, champs hall and we we just keep running into people we know and we've got become familiar with a lot of these names especially from the midwest not you know not so much from the east or west coast but they're definitely the midwest crew and yeah. midwest players are definitely representing out here too absolutely absolutely so it's easy to get into that frame of mind where you think like oh yeah yeah we're that these are the average players it's like no this is these are people like the people here are engaging at yeah. maybe a higher quantity yeah maybe but i don't want to say necessarily quality because i think garage hammer can be just as rewarding and maybe the maybe it is you only get that one game in a month but it's a game with your buds and you you have you you know have a few brews or you know whatever and 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 this is maybe a slightly larger comment on fandom in general but 
as long as you're getting something positive out of the hobby for yourself, I don't really care what your level of engagement is. You're you're a fan. You're not, you know, I, I, I've seen a bunch of my friends on, on uh, Twitter and Facebook are like Star Trek people. And they're like, you know, I've seen this kind of come up where it's like, if if the first Star Trek show you've ever watched was, you know, the original series and you read the original novels in the 60s, you're a Star Trek fan. If the first thing you've watched was Star Trek Picard that came out last week, congratulations, you're a Star Trek fan. Yeah. Like, you get out of it what you get out of it. And as long as you are getting something out of it, nobody else has the right to tell you what level, you know, if you're a, doing a, real, fandom, 40. a real fan or doing fandom the right way. There are people, and because I, I know this, there are, I know there are people who buy models, assemble, and paint, and that is their level of engagement with the hobby, and they love it. Yeah, never, never even play a game. Mm-hmm. Okay, and like I think 40k probably has going back to the original thing about the three hours a month for Magic. I think 40k probably has a little is a little bit different because there's more to the hobby. Yeah, so I think the total engagement time per person is probably probably a little higher. Because if you're playing 40K, you have made the decision that you are going to spend hundreds of dollars, build models, paint models, and play a game. Yeah. That's not a, that's not to say that, again, not to say that magic's, you know, less or whatever, but like to play commander, you buy a deck and you play. You know, so it's like some of the extra steps in there aren't quite the same. You've not seen the cost of commander decks, sir. No, 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 no. <laughs> and I, I'm, not, I'm not even saying cost, but like, you don't like. It would be different if part of magic was like printing and laminating your own cards. Fair enough. Fair. Enough. Like that would that would raise a barrier to entry that would kill off more of the you know casual fans. Yeah. There are not people who just tend to be not people that just casually play 40k. Oh, I have two boxes of troops and I just play with my friends. That's very very rare, and that's usually. The people who do that are like the people that have yet to get fully sucked in. Yeah. And you talk to them a year later and like, yeah, I've got eight armies and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. So it's like, <laughs> like, so 40k is a little bit of a different fandom, but I, I think that level of engagement or that, that idea that most fans don't engage with it as much as you think is, that feels right. Yeah. That feels like Although a I will statement. say, and we had the, again, we had this conversation earlier that GW has opened up a lot of new ways to engage with the hobby at a, yeah. At a more casual level. Absolutely. Like, you know, with Kill Team, for example. Kill or, Team, uh, uh, Blackstone Fortress, yep. uh, the video games. Some of the stuff we'll talk about in the Warhammer preview later. Which is out. actually going to come up. That's their next yeah. subject. So. Hey, segue. Yay. So, uh, it doesn't work when it does. It's not as cool when you call it when out. When you call segue, yeah. Well, you know. it, yeah. But <laughs> hey, segue, guys. Uh, so, um, we, so we both arrived here Thursday night within a less than an hour of each other. Yeah. But uh, you got here just in time. <laughs> yeah, I was able to. So I this year, in years past, I've always missed the sta- the studio preview. And I'm like, I really wanted to make it this year. So I talked to my boss and I'm like, is it okay if I leave like an hour early from work? And I did. Well, I, I left early, but I only left about 40 minutes early because I got caught on a project. And then I got stuck in traffic. And then it just took a while together. So I ended up getting here at about 7 o'clock from the preview started at – supposed to start at 8. So I get in here, get checked into the room, change because I'd like driven up here in my work clothes. And I'm like, I, I want to get out of my dress shoes. Like, So yeah. change that, got all that done. Went down there, found the ball for the preview. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I can slip in. The door's closed. But like, oh, I'll see if I can get in there. And I, I opened the door and they were just starting. It's like 7.45. And I'm like – Oh, they're starting a little bit early. So I kind of slip in the back, 
And as I do that, uh, Peachy walks, yeah, Chris Peach <laughs> walks in front of me and like stands next to me. Cause I just like slid in and kind of stood in the back, walks next to me and is like standing on the door and is holding the door shut so that other people can't come in because the, it started. Yeah. And I'm like, so something tells me you weren't supposed to make it in. I don't think I was. I was absolutely <laughs> the last person to make it in, in the hall. Yeah. Um, and as he did, I'm waiting in line yeah. to check in. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, and this, it was worth it. It was really cool. Um, so, uh, outside of the previous stuff, which we'll talk about in a second, I got to meet with, uh, Ethan and Amanda, the Warhammer 40k, 40K couple. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we chatted for a little bit, which was really cool. And then, um, Kat Jackson from CK Studios came over and was talking to Peachy about painting and stuff like that because they just released the the airbrushing videos uh, on the GW like, so site. Yeah, this little painting this, site. Yeah. And uh, it's really funny because I'm sitting there and I'm listening to – and one year I'm listening to the studio preview, but in the other year I'm listening to these two really great painters talk about painting and I'm like – Trying to split my attention because they're both fascinating things that were happening, which was, which was really fun. Um, yeah, they, they dropped some heat on the, on the preview though. They, they dropped some good stuff. Um, uh, war, not war machine, machine war. I was going to say war machine. Engine war. Engine war. Like war machine. That's not right. Engine war is the next psychic awakening book. Um, after uh, Greater Good, after after the ones they've already announced, yeah, Greater Good is, and Saga of the Beast are still yeah. Upcoming. So, uh, by the way, it is. Uh, do we know when the next one's coming out? So, Ritual of the Damned is out is out for pre order, and I think should be up for order today. Okay, today, okay. Uh, we're recording. Obviously, it's Saturday night. Um, the next one after that is Greater Good, which we don't have a date for. We yet. don't have a date for, and, and that Saga is the, the and that's the one that's going to have Tau. Possibly Death Guard, and we'll have the new Shadow Sun. And then Saga of the Beast is the one that's queued up after that, which is most likely Space Wolves and Orcs. And then we, and then, and then Engine Mich- War. Will Engine be- War, yeah. So the next book is after that is Engine War. So releasing one of these a month, basically. So Greater Good will be February. Saga of the Beast will be March. This will be April. Right. Uh, if they keep on the current cycle. So Adeptus Mechanicus is getting some cool stuff. They had already shown the um, gyrocopter, I yeah, guess. Yeah, the archaeocopter. Archaeocopter? Or archaeopter. Archaeopter. There you go. So they showed more more pictures of it, and they showed that basically they talked about there's three um, three variations of it, three variants. And then they also introduced a couple new units. There are uh, Cerberus – I'm saying this wrong, I'm sure – Cerberus uh, Sulfur Hounds <laughs> and Cerberus Raiders, which are – Basically, admech riding mechanical dogs, and or, or horses, or horses, eh, horses, dogs. Like, like that, that name yeah. sound sound like they're dogs, but they look more. Yeah, I guess equine they do kind of than, look more than canine. But, but yeah, basically, uh, yeehaw, bang bang. Basically, <laughs> basically, admech rough riders. Yeah, the, there's some guard players that are pretty salty and, about and, that, and they should be. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> Rough Riders, they get moved to Legends. Admech, they get new horses. Yeah. Um, but really cool, like, just awesome Admech. You know, they've got basically oh, one the Taraxi, the, uh, their, their jump units with yeah. the big wings. Yeah. Uh, as they said, Taraxis, the P is silent, just like in, uh, Paradactyl. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, jump, jump guys with big, giant, like, wings, like the arc, you know, like, like the Archaeopter. Um, yeah, just super cool looking stuff. Like, 
Now you got ones that have fire pikes and then ones that have uh uh, I'm trying to think which one those are. The looks like lances, like the taser goads. Taser or... goads, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like basically like with both of these, they basically have a Skatari and a Vanguard, you know, uh, version yeah. effectively. So there's like two different versions, uh, but they just look super cool. Like it's, uh, I could I could absolutely see like a Night Lords player. Taking those jump packs and using it for Night Lords, like oh, jump absolutely, because it's so cool, like awesome, like vampire, like wings. do bat wings, yeah, 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 and yeah. So Engine War is going to be uh, Mechanicus, Knight, Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights, and Chaos Demons. Yeah, so that should be that should be very they, cool. They didn't show any of the other stuff, but they basically they did hint that in the room that there would be that there's going to be rules for custom Forge Worlds. Okay. So, and I imagine there will probably be rules for custom night houses and stuff like that, but they didn't mention any of that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I imagine this book will also finally bring in, like, the, uh, the new, uh, transport. Like, have an actual, cause right now the only data sheets you have for that yeah. are, like, the ones in the, in the, uh, like, the kit. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it'll, they'll reprint that and they'll kind of unify all of that stuff for Admech. So, yeah. A, a big wave of Admech stuff coming. They did mention one other 40k thing at the very end. It was kind of the, the stinger at the end of the preview. And it was a, it was teasing a green skin legend that's coming. And they show this really cool video and it's, it's very clearly of a new Gazgol. But it's also, he has a uh, Meraki. Or Makari. Makari. Uh, sorry, a yeah, Makari on the base. So Makari, if people don't know, is a like the luckiest scout in the world from second edition. Yeah, like and back like, in the day, the original Gazgol, you got Gazgol and you got Makari who had his lucky stick. Yeah. And that's where the lucky stick. And he had like of. a had like a two up save or whatever. Like, right. Or, well, he, yeah, because he was basically the idea was Makari was jumping in the way uh, to block attacks from hitting Gazgol. Yeah. And uh, oh my god, it's so great! So he's coming back as they've not officially mentioned Gaz Gazgol, but. It's Gaskell. Yeah, they basically say, and coming now, the greatest green skin legend, Makari. Makari. And, and sidekick. And sidekick, yeah. All right, cool, cool, cool. And they cool. say that cool is coming story. before Engine War, which tells me Saga of the Beast. That'll be It's more Saga evidence that Saga of the Beast is going to be Space Wolves and Orcs. Or Greater Good could be Tau and Orcs or something, but... Uh, the story, they've already dropped yeah. some fiction, and it involves Death Guard, the Tau fighting Death yeah. Guard on the other side of the Fifth Sphere expansion. Okay. So, yeah, so, it's, so that one, I'm pretty sure is locked in at that point. All right. Uh, they did mention, I know we don't do a lot of AOS stuff, but this one's close to my heart. And the, mine. I actually yeah, was trying to get into High Elves originally. But uh, Lumineth Realm Lords, which are basically High Elves uh, coming to Age of Sigmar. So new Spearmen, new Cavalry, and then a just, honestly, just a super cool concept for a model. It is the, uh, let's see here what they call it, the Light of, of Eltharian. Eltharian. And it's basically like ghost armor. Like it's literally like a hollow suit of armor containing the spirit of a high elf of one of the high elves that got dusted in the, the end times. But like the model is just super badass. And like there's parts of it that are like there where the parts of the model aren't necessarily connected. So like one foot's on the ground and it's not connected to the rest of the armor. And it's very clearly like a ghost hollow. It just, just looks super cool. Yeah. And then uh, new techless. Uh, reborn in God mode with a like, Sphinx. Yeah, that was just this huge base. And I'm like, this just looks so cool. I, I love the goofy, crazy models that we're getting in Age of Sigmar. And I like that we're starting to get those goofy, crazy big models in 40k with like, yeah. the Triumph of St. Catherine and stuff like that. So 
that was super cool. They also mentioned um, they also mentioned for Blackstone Fortress. Yes, um, and the video is hilarious. And if you get a chance, go watch the video because it's it's great. They're sitting in there and talking about like, yeah, we've got the LVO preview coming up, and like, what are we gonna do to like blow people away and get them all excited? You know, it's and like, well, like, bring back some bring back something old. Yeah. What's what sis- about sisters? Yeah. And we just did that. What about high elves? I like what you're thinking, but that's the wrong game. <laughs> yeah. um, and then somebody mentioned uh, sons of uh, I can't like, sons of uh, uh, oh gosh, it's like Bar- Be- Bemeth or something like that. Yeah. And, and what that is is that is the giant faction for Age of Sigmar that's been rumored for like three years to be happening. Yeah. So they're they're basically poking fun at themselves for not making it happen yet. Yeah. And then they kick back and they're like. And there's like well, this old neck beard old guy. Guys, like, I have an answer. And I will say this: in that moment, I thought he was going to say squats. I really did. In that moment, I'm like, oh god, they're doing squats. They're not doing squats. Doing zotes. <laughs> well, a zote. Um, and it's great because they announced that, and then like to the guys, half the room lost their mind, and the other half of the room is like, huh. What the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, and they even say, for those of you wondering what the big green thing in the picture is above, allow us to explain. <laughs> yeah. Back in the distant past of Warhammer 40,000, they were a race of strange creatures who served as heralds for the Tyranid High Fleets before disappearing seemingly forever. We assumed they'd all just been eaten. <laughs> and apparently the apparently he's going to be a like quest giver in in Blackstone. Yeah. So, like, a, you know, a, maybe a playable character, but, like, nest. Basically, somebody will unlock a side quest, and it seems it out that there are more zotes out there. So it's they they even mentioned in the thing like there's just one for now. Yeah. So uh, and, the, and then some big uh, Forge World news. Yeah, this was kind of low key. Honestly, like the biggest news coming out of the event, in my opinion, they are rolling up the Forge World rules team into the main GW rules team. So all Forge World. I don't think that means that Forge World stuff is now going to be in the 40k codexes. They'll still think they're going to be separate publications, but it's all going to be written by the same rules team. Yeah, which and they means, even specifically talk about how it's the team that's been working on like Psychic Awakening and yeah. such. Which means, and they mention this specifically that like chapter tactics and you know things like that are going to work consistently for all of the models now. Um, they're you know they're going to fit with the current design because. Most of the Forge World models had not been updated since the indexes. Yeah, and it's and been two the years. The game has changed a lot in two years. So they didn't announce when, but they did say that they're going to be retiring the Forge World indexes. Yeah, and basically, effective immediately, whatever indexes are out there on shelves to buy, that's it. They are printing no more. Yep. It's an as supplies last thing. But. The what's in the index will continue to be legal until they release new books, and they haven't yeah. said what format those are going to be in. They did mention they didn't say it in the in the in the the write up, but they did mention it in the room that they're going to release all of the rules at once. Okay, which leads me to believe it's going to be updated index bookses. Yeah, bookses. bookses? It's going to be updated indexes, um, and they're going to just release the four indexes, like you know, version two point which is fine. As long as they're in the current design aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and then from there, potentially we'll start getting Imperial Armor books again and, and things like that. But who knows? Yeah, but they um, just kind of have to bring everything. But they have to bring it all up to speed because, you know, we'll talk about it later when we talk about the 40K championships. But the one common, in my opinion, the most common theme, not even Space Marines are good, which they are, 
the more common theme of all the lists that are like in the top 12, top 13 are Forge World Dreadnoughts be broken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's the biggest thing. It's like, oh, yeah, this li- this list has three Leviathans and three Chaplain Dreads. Yeah, they're really good. They need to be fixed. So this will be a way to fix them. Oh, well, and then the other issue, and I guess we'll talk about this with the, champ- the champions, is some of these models, much like Legends, you cannot buy models for. Yeah. And either they never had – well, in Forge World's case, they always had them, but they, they don't make them anymore. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't know. They didn't say whether they were going to legend anything when they reprint the indexes. Uh, but yeah, but that's going to happen. And it sounded like sooner than later. Um, they also talked about another uh, White Scars character for 30K that they're releasing. They showed a preview of. The only reason why I think it's even really worth talking about is other than it just being a cool looking 30K uh, Terminator model. He is standing on the cracked open remnants of an Alpha Legion Dread. With the pilot, like, exposed. Like, he is, like, broken into the pilot case, and, like, the half-dead pilot is hanging out, which is just a really uh, He's cool full dead now. Well, he's this- full dead now. <laughs> but, like, that is super cool that he, like, cracked open a dreadnought and, you know, pulled the fleshy innards out. <laughs> and then uh, one other thing we want to announce, uh, it, and was announced at the preview, is the new batch of Warhammer Heroes. Yes. So I'm going to go through this and probably mangle a few of the last names. Uh, and there's one I'm going to save for the end because it's kind of special. Uh, so our new Warhammer Heroes for the year, Thomas Pape, Simon Rook, Anthony Lone, Carl Ellis, Alex Gonzalez, Brittany Heddleston, Giovanni Taranto, David Nathan Jurgs, Mika Jonsu, John Williams, and last but certainly not least, and not last in the printed list, I'm just messing around, <laughs> uh, is Jason Horn, who, yeah. if you will remember from our episode near the end of the year, uh, I mean, not just the fact that he has grown that event, not just the fact that he has used it to raise thousands of dollars for the, uh, On the Rock Ministries, which is a local, you know, center that provides uh, services to underserved youth mm-hmm. in the area. Not only has he started up the Lord Marshall Conference to help, uh, uh, you know, promote, cat- you know, tournament play amongst the Midwest, and and not only has, does he travel to various events to provide streaming services. He also traveled here to be a judge. Yep. He is, you know, it's like, like <laughs> Jason has done a, re- a huge amount of stuff. So a, uh, of the year for me ha- happened earlier this year. It's like, it, it's already been a very good year because about a week ago, I got an email from the P team saying, so we received your nomination for Jason. He's being selected. Don't tell him. We would like to tell him first. Can you get us his email address? Yeah. And that was a cool moment. So I don't know how many people ended up nominating him. I'm amazed that I was the one that they contacted to get yeah. his contact info. But uh, so, but I you know, I am not saying this to say, look what I did. I made Jason. No, here. this was no, no. Super Jason, cool to get Jason, the only reason Jay, the only reason I'm involved is because. I happen to be the, I guess, probably the first one to get a nomination in for him sure, or something. Yeah. But, uh, no, he has absolutely earned this honor. Yeah. So we're very, I, very proud of him. I, so I did talk to him, uh, yesterday, uh, yeah, yesterday during the first, before the first round. Uh, I just walked in the hall and as they were getting set up and I said, you know, congratulations, shook his hands like that. 
And he actually is so funny because his first response is, I'm actually kind of mad they announced it right now. I'm like, why is that? And he's like, now I can't be an asshole to people when I'm judging. <laughs> it's like, now I have to be nice to people. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh, they did announce that they're going to, they're going to announce another wave of Warhammer heroes at Adepticon. Okay. That this was the first batch. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they had they, that they, they basically said there were so many great ones. They had to screen them and do further screening on the other ones. But the themes eight or 10 that they had announced were ones that like, nope. We're, we're going to now, we're absolutely announcing the ends and then we're going to do another wave later. And, you know, I assume if they keep getting nominations, they'll keep announcing people. Yeah. So, so the last thing they showed oh, is right. they, they, they had a, uh, the first trailer for Angels of Death, uh, which it's on the Warhammer community page. It's on their YouTube page. It's amazing. Uh, they actually showed a little extra footage in the room, which was really cool because, and I couldn't tell exactly who it was, but it, it basically was a, a blood angel talking to a higher up, either like Mephiston or, or uh, something like that, and basically saying that, like, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just feel this uncontrollable rage. It's like that, like hinting at the black. And I'm like, that's super cool. So uh, they also mentioned for Angels of Death, like they haven't announced when exactly it's going to come out, but like it's they're in a trailer stage. It's close, yeah. closer, you know, closer. Uh, they also announced there's other things in the works. They're going to focus more on 30k stuff at first, 40k stuff at first. Um, but then they said that they might eventually venture into 30k. They might eventually venture into Age of Sigmar, the Old World, etc. The one thing they mentioned, and they kind of dropped it, and I, I was a little bit surprised that they actually did this. They dropped that basically they're working on an anthology series as well, like a Love Death Robots uh, 40k anthology series type thing. Yeah, which. That's super huge. Well, and we also know like they're in the early stages of having a Warhammer, like a live action series, Eisenhorn, I think based yeah. on Eisenhorn put together, which uh, that could be very cool. And yeah, so there's there's some really cool stuff. Also, I'm very proud of the fact that these are actually, if I remember right, this project by the guys that did the Eisenhorn like yes. fan animation. And I think back to Once Upon a Time... Back around the time we started the podcast, <laughs> if you produced any third-party content based on the Warhammer 40k IP, uh, old, old guy GW sent lawyers after yeah. you and sent you cease and desist letters, which is actually why, if you remember, the web, there was a webcomic, and there is a webcomic, once again, called Turn Signals on a Land Raider, yeah. and they stopped making it. The guy who does it stopped making it because... People like G. W. I'm I'm backing. You know, it's yeah. like I just can't do this. It's too much of a risk. I can't and now do he's doing it. He's for writing it for G. the Warhammer community page. And so it's awesome that Games Workshop now the new G. W. has realized rather than punish these fans for promoting our our IP and showing people how cool we are, maybe we should bring that talent into the fold and bring those people in and. It's been very cool to see. And it, re you know, it creates a lot of goodwill in the community because it's like these product, you know, these, these media projects are, whether they're comics or animations or, or is it, or is it the people that did Eisenhower or is it the people that did the Hell's, Hellreach, Hellreach, uh, uh animated? Uh, I think it's them. Maybe it was Hell, yeah. But yeah. I think the Eisenhorn people might be involved I, I as know. well. Yeah. It, but, the, but that's the thing is they're drafting, they're drafting talent into the fold rather than pushing them away. Uh, the other thing that was kind of cool is when they showed the preview and you'll see it on the trailer, 
they it's called uh, Warhammer Story Forge, I think, uh-huh. is like the name of the studio, right? And, and they, I'm like, that's cool that like it's they they have enough plans for this that they took the time to like. Well, they they put together it. like a whole like animated like all mm-hmm. Warhammer Media will have this like opening that they've done. Yeah. They, and there's a whole uh, there's a whole article on the and 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 uh, video. On them making it and getting people into the studio to record the sound and work on the animate, you know, animation stuff. And they're like, yeah, they're, they're going full in, you know, full tilt into this. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, you know, there's no reason you know, I, they can't, I'm sure they can't help but see like what Marvel has done and be like, why can't we do that? We, we have this you IP know. with literally thousands of stories to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So. so- it's cool. It's really cool that they're doing more with that. So, I'm I'm very excited. It was really cool to see the preview. Um, there were a bunch of questions, QA, you know, QA question, Q and A questions afterwards. Um, there were a lot, and this is, I thought was kind of odd. There were a lot of like detailed supply chain questions and like corporate work culture questions. Which at one point, Adam who, on the community team, Adam Troke, yeah, yeah, he's like. I've been doing this, like, we do this, like, five times a year, and I've done it for, like, four years, and I've never once been asked an operational question, and I just got, like, five in a row. Wh- what is going on? <laughs> you know? But it was really cool, because he was talking about, like, how they keep their corporate culture, what they look for when they hire people, you know, like, I'm like, that's cool stuff to know. Well, and I think <laughs> it's, again, it's one of those things that shows a difference between how people have approached GW before where you know when we had kind of an adversarial relationship with GW in many ways and oh, all you all people wanted to know is like when is stuff coming out when are you going to like when are these books coming out when are the models coming yeah. out give me these things I, I just want these things because that's all you're giving us is like and now because GW is far more open with how they do stuff and they're far more open to the community now people are like what's it like to work there What's you know what is how do how does everything work behind this? Yeah, because they people want to know. They're honestly curious. Well, it's like they're, you know, they're for they're Games Workshop fans at yeah. this point. Well, and there were multiple questions about like how Brexit's going to impact this and and stuff like that. You know, and supply chain things that like obviously like we know that like the price of plastics increase. So it's just stuff like that. Like it's just a very interesting like intelligent questions, which I was like, I thought was fun. Yeah, no, it it sounds like it was a blast. And we also stopped by the dealer's room uh, Thursday night, and yeah, and I and and then went back uh, Friday morning. Yeah, we swung by the Frontline one and picked up a few few bits for our charity armor for Midwest Conquest because, yeah. I mean, if you can get fully painted stuff for like ten dollars, or even yeah. or and even yeah. some of it, some of it's like not painted, but it's it's primed and built and ready to go. Yeah. So yeah, working on that for Midwest Conquest, which is cool. Yeah, it's really all I kind of did on for, on Thursday night was just go to that. And, on Thursday night, it did make sure to swing by the uh, Hammerhead Games booth and pick up one of the yes. sweet uh, Miracle Dice trays that they have. Yes, I picked one up as well. Yeah, because yeah, and that's something we had talked about in our Sisters of Battle Codex review was that you know the you know making sure that you have dice set aside so you know which ones are your Miracle Dice to cut down on like some of the accounting and bookkeeping nightmare that that army could be if you're not mm-hmm. careful. Uh, Hammerhead Games, uh, which you know Tony. Uh, who runs that, uh, you know, right on top of it. Also, he has a really cool set of, uh, like, table terrain for a very reasonable yeah, price, like all yeah. MDF cut. Uh, so definitely check out Hammerhead Games uh, for – they just got some really, really cool products. Uh, so then Friday came around, and I mostly just 
took the day, you know, just kind of wandered around and just chilled. Although yeah. I did get in a practice game for the uh, friendly, yeah, which was, was good cool. because uh, I I played against some uh, cult mechanicus and got my face pushed in pretty hard. Uh, but uh, it did give me. This is actually the first game I've played with the eight. Now that I, you know, I've got them all fully painted. Uh, and so it was good to like kind of get reacquainted with them in eighth edition and be like, okay, so this is what I need, like should not do with them. And I've adjusted my game plan accordingly, but we'll talk about that more in a bit, but you had classes to attend. Yes. So I was able to attend, uh, two of the CK studio classes. Um, so it's a little bit different than the weekender that I did a couple, you know, last month, it was more of, uh, you know, four hour classes, three, four hour classes. Um, we did a, uh, figure painting class. It was a large figure painting class. So they basically, uh, GW had donated, uh, basically a box of like the couple boxes of like the trolls from age of Sigmar. So we were just learning how to use like brush techniques and stuff with painting angles and painting flesh and painting, you know, like there's, it's a really good model cause it's big, but like, it still has like some fleshy parts and like, you know, exposed skin. And then, you know, parts on the back here where there's like, uh, armor and like natural armor and stuff. So it's like a different texture. So it's just really cool to like, lots get of areas kinda, to work on yeah, differently. Just a lot of things to like, okay, this paint's different than that. And like, we did some color transitions. So like the one I've gotten, I'll, I'll post some pictures on the Facebook page, uh, did like a blue gray, like transition on the skin. And then like, you know, the, the belly is like the pink flesh. And, you know, and then we, we dry brushed a lot of like the scales and stuff. So it was interesting that like, you know, one of the that that they kept mentioning is, you know, they and we talked about it in the, the weekender, but like dry brushing and airbrushing like go together really well. So yeah. it's like airbrush it and then go in and kind of dry brush the stuff to pick out the details. Um, and that's that's a, mostly what that is is just this model is airbrushed and a little bit of dry brush. Yeah. Um. You know, and it it took us you know three hours, four hours. To but do that's it, with the time. But that's of like- with the time of explaining it. I could probably knock that out in 20 minutes now if I, you know, if I had time, if I had all the stuff and I just dropped it. And yeah, <laughs> don't do that. All right, there you go. Thank you. Then the other class I took was a terrain painting class because as I constantly talk about, I've been printing, 3D printing a bunch of terrain and I've got a boatload more than I need to print. So it was just using the airbrush for like the marbling effects, um, which what we were using was like old dryer sheets. So you kind of pull the dryer sheets apart and get it where it's really thin. And you use that to lay down colors and you kind of change how you're covering it. So you get different patterns and you get random textures. Um, and then using like the GW washes to bring out areas and make them look oily or, you know, make it look like moss is growing. Um, go in and dry brush certain areas to make them look shinier and like make them stick out. Like that's kind of the one where I did a lot of the dry brushing on the, on the window. Um, we also had like we also did another couple other techniques of marbling where like you're using paper to kind of uh, mask certain areas with it um, and then wash it to kind of bring it all together and then on that same piece there's kind of a grid underside to it so we were learning how to do like metallics and like heat stress effects and stuff like that on uh-huh. on the on the grate so again just super useful classes if you get to attend you know Adepticon Nova Gen Con uh, LVO. Uh, they do, you know, four or five classes, and they're all worth it. They're all great. So. Yeah. Yeah, and the, 
you know, that's one thing. Again, you know, people come to these events often to like, I'm going to play in the champions, you know, which will take up two like the two main days of the event, in all yeah. honesty. Yeah. And if you are not one of those people, if you are not coming for competitive play or maybe you're playing in something, you know, you're, you've got plans for like Saturday, but not uh, like, you know, like we did. Yeah. Yeah. Don't miss out on the hobby classes. I, I didn't have the funds set aside to to jump in on the hobby classes. I, I kind of wish I had, but... Uh, and it wasn't just CK Studios, like Peachy. Yeah, did like what, a class um, with Chris Peach two years ago. There was, was, there was a couple was people good. that were doing like specific like figure painting classes, like where you go in and you'll get like a space marine and you'll paint it all the way to finished. You know, they had, like I know he had one was like uh, speed painting a, a stormcast eternal. Yeah. And there's and there's a bunch of other ones like in in some of the areas where they do the non, you know, for non gamer stuff. They also have classes for other people like just learn how to airbrush or learn how to use acrylics and just paint. Uh, last year I don't know where they were like you were learning how to do like acrylics and like almost like tie dye stuff on like little like tile panels and stuff. And it was meant to be like now we're doing a hobby class for people who aren't gamers. So like. If your spouse is here and you're here for three days and like you're not just learning how to paint a space marine, you're learning how to actually paint art and other stuff. So, yeah, like there's well, a wide variety of those. Classes, well, and also uh, props to LVO for having they have an entire like social event manager mm-hmm. for providing social events and things to do. Like if your if your partner is busy gaming and you aren't a gamer, yeah. they have somebody who is like, yeah, we'll just go on tours of Las Vegas and do stuff. We've got like a whole itinerary of, you know, event of things to do to keep you busy until the tournament's over. So, yeah. you know, they, they take care of like a whole wide variety of, so, of so people. It, it was one of those two where like partnering with the hotel on the strip in Vegas makes it a lot easier to coordinate all of those. Oh, things. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah. So Saturday was great. Uh, so I did that. And then you did the night joust. I did the night joust for about 10 minutes. About uh, 10 minutes. So, yeah. Which, okay, were, which sounds you, bad. It you sounds were bad. in the night just about as long as I was last year. Yeah, so <laughs> so I don't want, okay, so I don't want to necessarily, uh, the night just, it was a little bit tricky at first because, uh, getting in because we we're trying to figure out what was going on because the space that would normally be allocated to the night just was taken up by the tournament, which was still going on at 9.30 at night. And we'll talk about that in a minute as well. So, but finally, like we figured out what we were, like figured out where we were supposed to go and their night just format was a little bit different than we've had at uh, past events. Coverage about like how they had done some tweaks to their event. Uh, this one we're doing, or right, then this one was different yet still. And I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. There's some things I liked, and there's some things I didn't. Uh, and I say I was in it for ten minutes. Uh, I was the first person knocked out on our table, and this was kind of like one person standing on each table yeah. and moves on. So I didn't get. I got to roll basically my dice once, other than making saves. Uh, yeah. So, but that is always a risk with a night joust. Yeah, because yeah, somebody's, somebody, go somebody's going to get knocked out first, and it and it is kind of a single elimination thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not salty about that at all. <laughs> uh, although I'm a little bit. There, some of the changes they made to the rules made that possible, which I'm not a fan of, but for different yeah. reasons. Um, so basically what they did is they had four, they had four by four tables set up and they had, I think they ended up having like three, four by four tables set up and each 
knight, each player basically could put their knight in a six inch by six inch square at the corner of the table, mm-hmm. which is effectively, you're pretty much going to be in there like kind of diagonally. Yeah. 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 Um, and then everybody rolls 3d6 to determine, uh, who goes first. And I, I kind of like that because it cut down on the amount of ties that you might have. Sure. So, uh, so you go for whoever, somebody rolls to go first, you go in clockwise order. And you go through the clockwise order three times. And at the end of that, either there should be one knight standing or they go to a series of tiebreaker points. So for every eight points of damage you did to another knight, you gained a point. And it could be – it didn't have to be like any one knight. Like if you did three damage to that knight and five damage to that mm-hmm. knight, that was a point. Uh, you got a point for every killing blow that you did. So every knight you specifically took out, you got a point. And then they had one objective placed in the middle of that 4 by 4 table. And if you were on that objective at the end of the rotate the three rounds, you got another point. So – and the idea was like if you're not the last person standing, whoever has the most points sure. moves on. So that part of it, I don't mind. I yeah. think that you know, it's it's a way to address the issue of a night joust can go on for a very long time. It, it's a good way to kind of filter those first rounds down. Yeah, um, you know, having a a, spe- a specified uh, time you know time limit three rounds means that the rounds aren't going six, seven, eight, nine, ten rounds. Uh, smaller you know smaller groups of four on a smaller table means you're engaging a lot quicker, um, and you know, and it's not. You don't have the team thing because it's all kind of a free for all. Yeah. So th- there's thing there's positive and negative about it. I I tend not to like the four person thing just because it doesn't really feel as chaotic. Like the be- the best memories that I have from the night joust are that first round where it's sixteen knights, you know, eight on eight, and it's just kind of insanity. Um, but the downside is those. But the downside take is forever. that can also take forever. So it's like I. I see what they were trying to solve for with that and what the changes and you know I don't have a problem with them. Yeah. Um so it's like okay that's that's it's it's cool. definitely it, it it's definitely a way to address yeah. that issue. Yeah, personally I would still prefer to have I still like the the team mm-hmm. aspect and, and you know there's ways to cut that down but I kind of dig the 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 tiebreaker aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, that was a really cool concept because putting a set round limit on it and and making it so that you, although it's a little extra bookkeeping because you have to count wounds and stuff like that. But yeah, giving those extra benefits and those extra things to like being aggressive, doing killing blows, um, holding that objective in the middle, which is kind of interesting, you know, something that nobody's thought of for a, for a night joust, just to have ways for those tiebreakers. Um, you know, which, you know, when we do ours, we typically do team and then the whole team advances and you usually have to pick one or two people from the other team to even it out. So that's how you could pick. You know, who from the other team advances, who had the most points on that team. That way, if you are knocked out early, you still could have accumulated enough points that you might actually be the person that advances. So, yeah. you know. So possibly. Yeah. What I didn't like, there was there was one other set of changes that they made. And this one, I felt a little bit antithetical to the idea of the Night Joust. I And uh, so uh, I'll just say what they are and then I'll... Mm-hmm. So... Every knight got to pick a warlord trait, a relic, and got th- three command points. They did not get a household trait or anything like that, but they uh, did get, uh, like I said, warlord trait, relic, and three command points to use however they wanted. 
I don't like this for a few reasons. First off, I think having rerolls kind of gets out of the, you know, because th- that's basically like having strategy- stratagems available or, or having rerolls available is kind of against the spirit of, of yeah. a Night Just, because a Night Just should only vaguely be about playing tactically. Yeah. And, and, and resource management and things like that. It should be more about just going crazy, you know, crazy go nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think having command points turns it into a little bit more of a tac, you know, a, a, a more tactical game than a knight just normally is. Yeah. The warlord trait and relic, I do not like because there are some combinations that, and especially in a four on four free for all, are huge issues. Yeah. So, for example, one of the knights on my table and the knight that actually managed to take me out, uh, was a uh, Knight Castigator, like a Serastus Castigator. So it's got the 16-shot uh, bolt, like, bolt cannon. And that player took the Warlord trait, blessed by the Sacristans, which means every six that thing rolls to wound does a mortal wound in addition to whatever damage it does. Mm. <laughs> that does, and with 16 shots, that's a ridiculous amount of, of chances to do mortal wounds. Yeah. So, uh, so that, like, that's a bad combination. Or what the, the knight that won on our table was a knight lancer that took, uh, the, uh, or I think armor of St. Ion, the two plus armor, mm-hmm. and then iron bulwark, uh, ion bulwark to improve their invulnerable save to a four up instead of five up. So you had a lancer that just would not die. Yeah. I think it took like three wounds the whole. Oof. Yeah. So it's like there are some combinations that are just, really hard and if this was in a a team setting where you had like a three on three or a four on four where you could fu- pick out a problem night and focus fire on it that's that would balance that out i still wouldn't have warlord traits and relics in there but it would be better like yeah. one of the other the other the third night on our table was a night warden that took endless fury as its relic Oof. So it managed to, so it just, you know, had exploding shots and more, you know, like more shots than normal and exploding shots. So I took Judgment as my relic, which was the improved Storm, sh- or Storm Spear Rocket Pod. Okay. Well, that because, was well, <laughs> because like my other options were, I could have taken the Armor of St. I, but yeah. it wouldn't have mattered against the Mortal Wounds. Yeah. Um, I could could have taken I took uh Iron Bulwark as my warlord trait. Okay. But like relic wise, like there isn't a non household relic rapid fire battle cannon. Because you didn't get a yeah. household trait, so you couldn't take any of the specific ones. The only other relic that really would have mattered maybe would have been Ravager, which is the improved chainsword. Yeah. But I didn't get into assault, so it really didn't matter. So it's like I that opens up some, and I don't want to say room for abuse in the sense that like somebody's planning on going to a night joust and like dominating with a particular combination, but it, it, and I think it's a, it's one of those things that's exacerbated by the four for four you know four player free for all because yeah. like in events we've run at yeah like knights like a knight atrobos or a knight lancer they're big obvious targets and so a team will focus that thing down because if you don't it will tear up your team yeah. In a free for all, you don't have the ability. To you do don't that. have the ability because that lancer is going to go after whoever's closest to it, and then 
you may not be if you're not the one that's going after well you probably are going to have to deal with the with the knight that is closest to you it's yeah. it's rough it, it it's it's a it's just it's yeah it's too much power for that particular format i feel yeah, and, like and again it's also as we talked about as you kind of mentioned before like it's adding like strategy and tactics and some of this other stuff that's like just just line up and play like just line up and just line up your knights and run at each other you know it's well doesn't have you, you when you start adding more complexity to it you lose the the snappy fun of a night joust right or you could potentially lose it so yeah and on a, in addition to that the packet for this night joust said you had to bring either a knight a you could bring a knight or a wraith knight or a storm surge or a gorkonaut or morkonaut uh, all of those except for the Imperial Knight do not have Warlord trait options that really work for them and do not have relics that they can take. Yeah. So you are at a de- disadvantage if you take a non-Knight, when, which you are explicitly allowed to do. Yeah. Now, I think in this case, the only non-Knight that I saw was a a Chitin. Yeah. But like last year, there was a Storm Surge and a Morkonaut that took out my Chitin. So. Yeah. So... It's not like... It's, yeah, I... I'm fine. I'm glad that people are playing, doing more night joust. I'm glad that people are experimenting with rules for night joust. But I, th- I have yet to see many ideas that I think improve upon the fun. And that's the thing: the night joust is meant to just be fun. It's meant to be kind of snappy fun. You know, get out your big toys and and melee. You know, and have a big just ball of you know chaos. Uh, and if you start adding more to that, you just you just start complicating it. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where, like, when we talked about like the the way they did the pods and the and the tiebreakers and everything, those those are rules changes to address an issue. What's the issue? Night jousts can take too long. Let's find a way to streamline that and mm-hmm. make it go faster. It's a problem yeah. that needs a solution, and this is one way to solve it. And I think it it works decently. Yeah, yeah. However. The I'm not sure what the problem the adding the warlord traits command points and relics was supposed to solve. I don't I think I mean, it was a solution in in search of a problem. I think it was it was because now, you know, those weren't part of the game in 6th edition when when Knights Knight Joust started. Now they are. Can we incorporate them? The answer is no, not really. Like it just doesn't it doesn't add anything to this format when you're when you bring in those mm. extra complications. Yeah. So, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So, overall it was I, I thought the Night Joust was was fine. There's yeah. there's there's like I said, there's things about it I like. There's things not as much a fan of, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of the Renegade format last year with the uh, not exploding or or degrading until like the end of the next turn, which ended up causing a lot of just weird timing issues. And I'd still go back and play in Renegade though, oh, and absolutely. I'll still come back and play in this one. It's like this is not a, a deal breaker for me. It's just I would. I would probably play something a bit different if I did. Yeah, if I had if I had not been doing the painting classes, I absolutely would have brought a, a knight and I would have played in this. So. Yeah. Um. So so that finished up Friday night. So then we get into today, Saturday, and that is when the 40k friendly started. But I think yeah. before we talk about that, let's take a brief moment to talk about the uh, LVO champs. Yeah. Specifically Friday on the LVO Champs. So we were actually stopped by a, a friend of ours 
on Thursday night. Yep. And he asked us, so what time should I show up at the yeah. for for registration at you know like, what time should I start for the first round? Because they're invariably you know because I think they're going to run like, late. He's like the package says to show up at eight, but they always run late. And my answer as a TO is show up at eight because that's when we're starting. But like you know, but I also mentioned I was like they 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 have enough lead time to get the first round set up. The first round usually gets set up pretty quickly. If there's any issues. It's after round two, like they had last year, where BCP dropped the ball and crashed, and they had to, like, manually do some stuff last year. I say that because that's pressing it for this year. <laughs> so round yeah. one was fine. Yep. No issues. You know, the games happened. Um, a couple big names lost in the first round, but, like, a couple upsets, which always happens. Yeah. Um, everything was fine. And then they went to submit the scores. And BCP promptly pooped itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, BCP was not up to the challenge of handling nearly 800 players entering their scores. And who knows how many players watching from afar and watching for, like, either yeah. checking in on, like, team members or just wanting to see what the results were for some of the big names. Uh, yeah. So. So there was, I think they said an hour and a half delay. Two, two hours. Two delay. hour delay. Between rounds between one and two. Between round one and two. And then another multiple hour delay. Hour and a half. Hour yeah. and a half. Okay, so that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Then an hour and a half delay between rounds two, two and three. three. To the point where going into round three, they had to use a Google Sheets spreadsheet to do pairings. Yeah. And it was so late that they were actually – they gave opponents – they gave players the option, and I don't think anybody took it, to instead of playing round three at, starting at, at like 830 – they could show up at seven the next day and play round one around around three on Saturday. That potentially meant that if you, you would be playing four rounds on Saturday and potentially a fifth, if you got into the shadow round, Yeah, you know, if you were in the top 12 or top 13 this year, um, I don't think most people took it. No, but the fact that they had to be flexible and offer that sucks. Yeah. You know, and it's, and I'll say this. We know the people that run this event. We know the people judging. The judges and the people that were entering the scores and running the event were doing the best they did. They did the best they could. Um, you know, and not, I don't know all the details, so I don't want to come down too hard on BCP, but this was a BCP issue. You know, they, it wasn't stress tested well enough. Like it wasn't, they knew how many people were going to be coming to this event because there were a thousand people signed up for the, for the champs. Yeah. Um, so they should have stress tested it for a thousand people or fully stress tested it and had, you know, s- simulated a thousand people trying to enter scores and, you know, t- 5,000 people trying to check the app and, and all of the other, as we mentioned, all of the other events that were going on using BCP yeah. on Friday, yeah. you know, and it just, it, you know, I don't want to be too hard on them because B- we talk about BCP all the time. BCP is a great app. It makes running tournaments so easy. But this is the second year in a row that we've had issues. At LVO. At LVO, specifically here. And it's like, it's, I get it's a small team, but like, at some point, something's got to change. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's detrimental to their brand and to like, to the LVO, to Frontline, like, having delays like that, it's not acceptable. It has to be fixed. Yeah. And uh, now, to their credit, 
seems like Saturday, no issues. Yeah, today has today, it has yeah. run, and th- it didn't seem like there was a large number of drops between day one and two. Yeah, which was, was surprising to me. I was talking to Jason, um, Jason Horn, because he's running one of the events, and he, he ran up some plaques with a friendly today, and I just chatted with him, said, "How's how's it going?" and you know, how's it going on there? And he's like, yeah, it didn't seem like they had many, you know, many more drops than what was normal. Um, you know, the people that showed up, because so I think they originally had a thousand signed up and they had 780 actually check in for round one. But I think like at this point, I think it's 700 and, you know, 50 something left. Like, I don't think they've had many drops off of that. So um, that's good. Yeah. And I. Uh, this is purely anecdotally, so uh, you know I'm not I, I'm not looking at the raw numbers, and I'm sure there's other podcasts that'll actually go through and do list breakdowns and things like that. Anecdotally, it did not seem like there was an abnormal amount of Space Marines at this at this year's events. If you're just walking up and down the tables and looking at armies, yeah, there were a lot of Space Marines, but there's always a lot of Space Marines. They're the most popular faction. Um, and especially in this format, or yeah. the, with the current rules. But, like, with them being as, as good as they are right now, and, and they are good, because, like, in the top 13, I think there's eight of the top 13 have Space Marines or are Space Marine lists or have Space Marines as big parts of their list. So they're very good. But last year walking around, there were Castellan Knights at literally every table. Like, it, there were so many that, like, either one player or both had them, like, but somebody in every game seemed to have one. Um, there was not that level of proliferation of units this year or factions or things like that. So I'm obviously there's still balance issues. Iron Hands still really good, you know, but it didn't feel like the community was like going all in on one thing. There were Eldar builds. There's orcs in the top 13. There's, you know, there were other things. Every faction that just walking around, I saw every faction. I saw sisters. I saw Gene Steeler Colts. I saw multiple necrons so you know it's all of the armies are getting played which is good yeah yeah i think i think we kind of went around like we were even like walking around uh during round one and and you were like i don't i haven't seen any gene stealer cult armies and just as we say that we're walking by somebody's table and he's like oh yeah i've got like i converted beastmen into gene stealer cults and he showed us all the different yeah, conversions and they looked really cool. cool yeah so like he had like they had them riding beasts, like the jackals were like beast riders with like guns, you know, like, yeah. you know, pintle mounted or something. It's like, that's super cool. Like, and again, it's like not just, you know, a thousand or 700, 800 people showing up for this event. It's not just the hardcore competitive players. Yeah. Some people are like, yeah, I want to get six games at LVO and bring my awesome, cool, converted, fluffy army, you know, and that's, that's really cool. And also, I would say the, the level of hobby. It's in the LVO champs floor was very good, like much higher than my, the, like when we were there two years ago, it was yeah. definitely better than that. And you said last year, they last kind year, of- they last year they implemented because, because two years ago was kind of the, the nadir of it. Yeah. Where there were barely three color painted mo- minimum models on stuff, stream, on stream and stuff. So last year they implemented a, effectively what became the GW battle ready kind of like standard of painting. As, like, it has to, like, be... It can't just be three dots on a model. Like, it has to be painted. Yeah. Um, and then they basically said that they hold the rights that if you were in the top eight, or, you know, to go on the streams, if they didn't think your army looked good enough, they could say, no, you're not in the top eight. We're going to kick you out and we're going to put somebody else in. 
Yeah, if your so army like, is not meet standards, so these top players are getting their army, you know, either they're painting their mar- armies themselves or they're having somebody do it yeah. for them because they want, you know, and want to miss out on, on the, yeah. And the stuff is looking good. And yeah. they all, you know, they have some other policies like, uh, you know, it must be GW models. Like if you are on the stream, you cannot use any third party model conversions or. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, no, no. Okay. If you are on the stream, since GW is carrying the stream, you cannot have. Fair enough. Which right. also gets around some of the counts as issues we've seen at past events. And there's an issue that's tied with that. And we talked, we kind of hinted at it during the talk about the Forge World rules getting moved in. So this actually, uh, this post actually went out like a week or so before the event and said, Hey, we've noticed that there's a lot of, uh, chaplain dreadnoughts showing up in lists because in the current format and with current errata, they, Forge World chaplain dreadnoughts are really good. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. If you're bringing that, you better have the GW chaplain model or an amazing, or a conversion that looks pretty much spot on. Like, I, th- I think I spotted a couple while we were walking around that looked like they'd had like 3D printed parts added to make them into chaplain dreads, but they were very clearly chaplain dreads. They weren't just a couple like yeah. regular boxy Mark IV dreadnoughts that had, you know, just like, oh yeah, this is a chaplain. No, it's like, and if you have a chaplain dreadnought and it does not look like one, it will be removed. Yeah. And the tricky part about that is, Forge World doesn't make the Chaplain Dreadnought. Hasn't in a couple of years now. Yeah. No, it's... And that's one of the things that I expect will get addressed with the updates to the Forge World rules. Yeah. Like, people keep talking about, like, what the next FAQ is going to include, and it's going to how it's going to, you know, hammer Marines into the ground, yada, yada, yada. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, because I think most of the super good, like, abused, quote-unquote, uh models and units in Space Marines tend to be Forgeable Dreadnoughts. You know, the Relic Leviathans. Leviathans, Held Derradeos for, like, you see a lot of Chaos Derradeos. Exactly. So it's like, I think once they pull those in line, I think just that will cut down on some of the shenanigans. Yeah. So. But yeah, so, yeah, day one was long. But, you know, there there were some good people, you know, people in the Midwest had good results. Um... You know, and it seemed like outside of the issues, didn't seem like there were really any any problems. And, and as far as I know, we are the shadow round is still currently ongoing, so okay. we don't have a a final top eight because basically the top three because they had thirteen undefeateds. Yep. So what they chose to do is to give all the undefeateds a chance to get in. The top because originally it was going to be the top four were seated in, yeah. and then the remaining five through twelve would play off to uh, get, get fill the in the last four. four. But because there were thirteen, they want to make sure they all got a chance. So the top three are seated in, and then the other ten are playing each other to get in. So then three, five, you get your eight. And yeah. we actually also cranked out the math, and that's almost exactly where you should be if you started with seven hundred ninety players. You should have thirteen undefeateds. Yeah. So math, math holds up. Yep. We're still living in a stable world. Math, math is still working. <laughs> yeah. So we don't, so tomorrow we'll have a, well, tomorrow we should hopefully know who won. Yeah. We'll Las know Vegas. Who won. Yeah. But, uh, but we'll have the, yeah, we'll have the, we'll have the final eight and we'll be able to go through those. Oh, like I said, of those top 13, I want to say there's eight space Marines, like a, an orc, like a, when the Necron was Not it? anymore. The Necron no, got knocked okay. out. The Tau got. Chaos. Chaos list. There's a chaos. Uh, chaos list. And there was, uh, several Eldar lists. 
Yeah, in and fact, then there's one like mixed Imperium list. Yeah, uh, and honestly, uh, Sean Naden is currently the top, and his list is an Inari list. Yeah, with that is like Harlequin heavy. Uh, very impressed to see that going in this environment. What something else that's been kind of an interesting as we've been looking at the lists, and apparently, like on the competitive scene, the the buzz on this has been going for a little while. Which tells you how in touch I am with some of the like list building for Marines because or, and counter Marines. Yeah, um, you know we talked it like during Iron Halo about how like uh, Centurion, like Assault Centurions are really good, and obviously Iron Hands are really solid with all their tricks they can pull. Uh, I'm very impressed that uh, Grav Cannon Devastators are back, and specifically Grav Cannon Devastators in a drop pod. Yeah, and you're seeing a number of lists packing that. Yeah, I mean, because again, if you're going to get a lot of Space Marines, having the, you know, having things that do better against 3 up armor, like, that's, that's good. Yeah. So, everything, everything old is new again. Yep. <laughs> ah, but anyway, that takes us into Saturday proper, which is when we start playing in the friendly. Uh, so, friendly games, these are, these games are even longer than I expected originally. They are four hours long. Yep. Uh, they're using the 2019 mail, uh, Chapter Proof 2019 Maelstrom rules, including the Schemes of War rules, which is where you basically take your tactical objective deck and you pair it down to 18 minimum. Uh, I've heard overheard a couple people recommending uh, cut it down to 21 because if you go full seven rounds, you could theoretically, depending on how well you do, yeah. score all all of them. I may cut mine down a little bit more. I think I've got it cut down to like 25 right now. Yeah. So I think I may cut a few more out because I have ran into a few rounds where it's like... Oh, that's really not gonna. That's not gonna happen, you know. Yeah. So uh, I need to probably pair a couple more out of mine. But so, and I think we talked a a little bit about chapter proved. I don't. I don't think we. Yeah. Gave the book a full in depth. Not really, because there wasn't really anything. There wasn't really anything that was like game changing in this one. Yeah. Like they didn't post any beta rules. They didn't. They changed points and stuff like they always do. Uh-huh. Um, but they did that in a separate book, which was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, they announced, you know, they gave more Maelstrom missions and stuff like that. But yeah, they didn't really All, do and, well. and even like the yeah. the Eternal War missions, a number of them were reprints from past books and just mm-hmm. kind of tuned a bit. Yeah, just just kind of collecting everything, which is I'm totally fine if if chapter proof is just going to be a compendium of like the stuff they print in like, there. Yeah, like here or totally here's fine here's that. our best of missions, so use these. And they've done this like the General's Handbook for AOS does the same yep. kind of thing. Um, but I really like the the uh, rules now because basically you build your deck and then instead of just like top decking the three cards and that's your objectives, you draw a hand of five cards and you pick three of those to play and then mm-hmm. you just fill you fill your hand back up and then anytime you score an objective that spot empties out and the next turn you can pick another one from your hand to replace it. So it mitigates the randomness of maelstrom while yeah. still absolutely having the feel of maelstrom where your objectives could take you all over the map he's like you have yeah. you can control it to an extent and i think it addresses a lot of the issues that people had with maelstrom in the past that it was too random too swingy and it still can be swingy but it's definitely it's it's like controlled chaos and i think yeah. it's and so I think it's good. And they also give you more stratagems you can use to do deck manipulation. So you can try to get, uh, you know, try to f- find ways to get rid of objectives you don't want, get objectives you, you do want. So I definitely, if you have been at all curious or have never even thought about trying the Maelstrom objectives, I recommend trying them out. They're a lot of fun. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, but uh, so I'll I'll go ahead and start with my first round game. So first round, I played. Let me bring up the list. Okay, so first first round, I played Sunrisa Holmes, and she uh, brought Grey Knights. Uh, specifically, uh, she had like a Grandmaster and a Nemesis Dread Knight. She had Castellan Crow, which was oh, nice. cool to see. A um, couple strikes, like a fi- like a five or six man strike squad, a couple of ten man strike squads, uh, a unit of interceptors, and uh, like two two dreads. And then in deep strike, she had like two five man Terminator units, and then a chaplain and a paladin ancient with each. Also, so she had a couple of like blender Death Stars that she could nice. drop down. And uh, I'm glad I had my practice game because I was able to use the eight more effectively than I did my practice game. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the end, there were a couple things that worked ag- against me. Um, she ended up uh, being the defender, so she got to determine the object or the yep. deployment zone. We ended up in a hammer and anvil, which you'd think Tau Tau should love hammer and anvil. Well, here's the thing. First of all, Grey Knights have between like Gate of Infinity, Interceptor, Warp, sh- like they can cover so shunt, much ground, and uh, Deep Strikers. That's not really they can cover it very quickly. And the stuff that she's dropping in, Terminators can deal can uh, can suffer a lot of damage. You know, they can soak up a lot of wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I have no defense against psychic powers. So even though Grey Knight Smite is only like twelve inch and one damage, yeah, it's twelve inches and one damage. It's it's one damage I can't do anything about. I can't mitigate. I can't yeah. shunt it onto shield drones. Not that I have a lot in that list. I have six total. Ooh, because it's it's not a competitive list. You know. More drones. Yeah, <laughs> not in a friendly list. You don't. Actually, I have a lot of drones. Most of them are gun drones, <laughs> or stealth drones, or marker drones. Yeah. Um, well, most of them are. Most anyway. of them. I have a few shields. Most. Well, most drones are anyway. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, but uh, also, just uh, objective-wise, uh, like, like I killed, like I killed Crow on turn two because uh, she Gate of Infinity him forward and had him drop a Vortex of Doom on some of my stuff, and I was able to take him out. And you know, I was able to kind of like hold off, and you know, I didn't get tabled, mm-hmm. uh, but there were a couple of turns where I had objectives out to like kill a Psyker. Kill or and uh and just destroy a unit this turn, and of course destroy a psyker easy entire army psyker. Yeah. So I should be able to yeah anything I kill I should be able to get that. That turn, either my shooting whiffed or my wounding whiffed or she, her saves were on point because that's the other thing is all of her like her army has except for like the strike squads and the interceptor invulnerable saves on like everybody because everybody's either in terminator or dread knight armor um and you know so it's either two up armor saves five up invulns four up invulns if she's casting sanctuary on people yeah so there was a turn where i could not like i just did not manage to seal the deal on anything and that set me behind and also like the one time i had like a randomly an objective score randomly, I rolled one on how many points I got. Whereas, like, when she had one, she scored three on it. So, you know, it was like I was kind of on my back foot because my army is like a mid range shooting army. I've yep. only got one thing with a lot of range. 
I, I mean, I still, I gave, as I'd like to think I gave as good as I got. I had her whittled down to quite a bit. Yeah, when I walked by at the end of my, after my game ended, like, there was not much left on the table. Yeah, she was down to, like, one Terminator squad, one, uh, or, like, yeah, one Ancient, one Paladin Ancient, a couple of the Strike squads, and that was about it. But at that point, she had scored 14, obje- like, 14 points to my seven. And, yeah. like, I did not get First Strike. Uh, she did. Uh, I did get Slay the Warlord. I did not get Linebreaker. She did. Um, and then, like I said, uh, on objectives, she just, she pulled ahead. And between her getting just, like, more points for objectives, which still is a thing that happens in Maelstrom. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and me fo- just having one or two turns where I needed to score and just could not for some reason or other but it was a good game she played well kept the pressure on and, and she was a lot of fun to play oh yeah play yeah. yeah no she's very friendly very cool yeah in the in the three years that i've played in this event i've never had a bad game like yeah. i've lost way more than i want but i've always had good games um so in my first round was against uh tim anderson uh and his custodes list uh so tim is actually a listener from florida uh, and him and a couple of his buddies came up to play in the friendly. And this is, and he said, is the second tournament he played in after the friendly last year. So perfect. This is why these events exist. Yes. You know, for these, you know, filthy casuals. You know, the, <laughs> you know, the, but, you know, but like I said, the people that don't want to play in competitive events don't get to play, to come and have fun, play in a relaxed environment, show off your cool army that you played. Cause he, he, he mentioned that, uh, oh, and I forgot what he brought last. I think it was his ad mech last year. And his last game was against Custodes. And he's like, wow, that looks like a really fun army to play. And that's how he started, like, his Custodes army. Yeah. Was because he's like, this looks fun. I want to do this. Um, so I thought oh, that and was We cool. always say, like, what's the best army to start with? It's the one that looks coolest to you. Exactly. So um, the problem with my list for my Alpha Legion army is it is a very infantry-heavy, like, bolter list. And against custodes, they just shrug bolters off. Like, as you know, as, as we were talking, it's like, yeah, he's like, if it's all about me making saves, if I can make saves, just you're not going to do any damage. If I fa- start failing saves, it cascades. And well, I start and, and Dennis problems. will tell you the same thing from yeah. when he's played custodes. Oh, I, I, I've, I played the ringer custodes list. In and you, you have been there. I got tabled the top of, top of two. So, yeah, you start failing saves, it all collapses. Uh, he had a unit of, so he had like, uh, Trajan Valoris, uh, Don Jetbike, uh, Captain, um, three units of the Stigitarium, like the, the guys with the bolt guns, uh-huh. which were awesome in their troops now, so I might actually pick some up. Um, and then he had, uh, the Firepike Terminators and a, a big blob unit of Axe Wardens. Um, and it was something else. It was, Oh, the Tallyman Dreadnought. Tallyman Heavy Dreadnought. Yeah. And the Axe Wardens just literally just chewed through my army. Um, I made a couple mistakes. I should have, I should have tried to hit them with something other than the Berserkers first and have the Berserkers come in to clean up. Um, which that did not work well because he, I hit with the Berserkers and did a couple of wounds and then they hit back and the unit was gone. Yeah. So I was like, oh, oh yeah, not going to get, not going to win that fight. Uh, I just forgot how good Axe Warden Darks. I don't have any in my list. And yeah, I'm like, I might have to add some because they, they get work done. Of that eight man unit, one of them lived the entire game. 
Uh, you know, there was one guy left in that unit at the end of the game, so I didn't kill the unit, but it was in melee from the top of one. Wow. Um, I, uh, I think I completely killed one unit that game. I killed his Don Eagle jet bike captain. I think that's the only unit I completely killed because I killed one or two guys in this squad, one or two guys in this squad. And it's just, it was just an uphill slog because the, the list and I don't know if I, you know, you, we've talked about your theme and your list before, but like with my list, it's that 30 K alpha Legion army that I took to renegade, but I've added a few of the pieces got 500 more points. So I added a unit of berserkers painted from, World Eaters, Rampagers, and 30k. A unit of Noise Marine Cacophony, uh, which are great. They were the best shooting thing in my army. Um, so I painted them up as Emperor's Children and put them in the list. And then I added a few other characters. Because with the new Alpha Legion stuff, the uh, I Am Alpharius Warlord trait, which they've always had, is even more hilarious now. Yeah. So it's like I was able to bounce around the Warlord trait until he had kill- he killed all five of my characters. So it's like... You know, I'm going to make you work for this. For yeah. You slay the warlord. Um, but it just was one of those. That was just such an uphill game because I don't have high quality. Shit. You just don't have the tools you to know, deal like with I that. I have yeah. a lot of bolters, but bolters against custodes or against the second army I played um, just don't do enough damage output. Don't do enough to make him have to fail saves because you can sit there and make two up armor saves all day long. Whereas, and, like, if you were playing against, like, guard or oh, orcs or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a, an orc army would still present a damage because the ones that get there are still going to hurt. But, like, yeah, I would have just shoot through an orc army. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but that's that's the matchups we got. This is the army I wanted to bring. And this is the army I had painted. So, um, you know, like, it was a really fun game to play. But it was just, it was this uphill battle of getting through those two plus armor saves and invuln saves on everything. Um and then my second opponent, let me pull up my list here, was against uh, Carlos Hernandez of... Mechanical Warhorse? Yes, sorry, yeah. Uh, was against Carlos Hernandez of Mechanical Warhorse uh, in Phoenix as well. Uh, so I'm going to talk to him about getting getting some stuff and maybe having stuff from Midwest Conquest from them. Very cool. they make Because uh, they make MDF terrain. Um, he gave me a little sample of, like... Because it was kind of... the. I've been giving out the little preferred enemies tokens that we gave away at Midwest Conquest to all my opponents. He was giving out little, like, samples of, like, a MDF base and a business card. And I'm mm-hmm. like, cool. Um, so we're going to talk more about, stu- you know, about that stuff. Because if it's, you know, if uh, we want to promote the hobby, we want to promote other businesses, you know, and get them and help them. Excuse me. Help them out. So he was playing Death Guard, which is the other bad matchup for me. Because... Right. Same thing about Custodes, except replace 2-plus armor save with tough 5 and disgustingly resilient. So, Bolters hit, and yeah, sure, yeah, you'll fail 3-ups a 6th more than you'll fail 2-ups. Two, fail two but against tough 5, and with disgustingly resilient, I'm not getting a lot of wounds on you, and he's saving most of them after they go through. So, it's just, it was just one of those where it was just this constant uphill battle to fight through and fight through that toughness and fight through that army. Um, but that said, it was also a super swingy back and forth game. Um, the final in that game was 18 to 17. No, 19 to 18. Or 19 to 18. Yeah. Sorry. So the first game I lost to Tim uh, 17 to 5. Like he was comfortably ahead the entire game. Like I said, I killed, I completely killed one unit the whole game. So that kind of tells you like the, 
how comfortable it was. It was still a fun game. There's still a lot of going on, but like, there were a couple moments where like things could have gone different and I maybe could have swung the game, but like, he was kind of, he was front running most of the game. Yeah. Uh, with this one, it was much more back and forth. Um, I forgot just how small Death Guard armies are. He deployed his entire army in, because we did, uh, Dawn of War. Yeah. And he deployed his entire army in like a two foot square in the corner <laughs> because it's, two, you know, two units of Plague Marines, a unit of Poxwalkers, Typhus, a couple of the small, you know, the, the characters, and then three, uh, and bloat drones. Bloat drones. And like, that's it. And like, bloat drones are just such a good fit in that army because they can fly. They don't worry. You don't have to worry about the shooting. Um, you know, about their, their bad ballistic skill. And, they just they they move so much faster than anything else. You can actually reach out and harass and touch things. Yes. Um. And uh, you know, a couple things went went bad and you know for me in that game. I failed to get prescience and warp time off in any of the times I tried to cast it. I either rolled a like a three on the psychic test, or I rolled enough to get it, and then one of his like eight psychers would deny it. So I never got those off, which hurt because if I could have gotten my demon prince or one of my dreadnoughts in closer, I could have, I could have taken some more damage to him early on in the game and potentially changed some of the things. But um, at one point, I was ahead like eleven to like seven on the on the command point on on the the objective points, and I'm like, all right, I think like at this point, like he's killed a lot of my army, but I'm like, I think I can hold on, I can hold on to objectives, I can keep this, I can pull this out. And then he had a round where he scored eight victory points in one round. Um, And it's just like everything hit. He finished off a couple small units. He was able to get a couple objectives, got several of the D3s come up. Uh, We were playing on the one where you get extra victory points if you select a priority mission. Yeah. He he got that. And like that was also when he finally got Slay the Warlord. And just all of these came through at once. And I'm like, oh, now I'm playing from behind. And I – and I – my final mistake was that I held on to Kingslayer because I held on to that Maelstrom objective from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's Demon Prince. It's a Nurgle Demon Prince. It's not that hard to kill. <sighs> Nurgle Demon Princes are very hard to kill. Yes. Um, and I basically chased that dragon the entire game and I got to the last round and I ditched that objective card. I'm like, no, not doing it. I can't do it at this point. And as soon as I ditched it, I got an easier one that I was able to like score, and I scored like five on my final, my final turn, and almost and passed. almost got it. Except that we both had line breakers. Like, oh, I'm gonna get this, and I have line breaker, and you've got one guy over here in the corner because there was, there was a Lord of Contagion, and I forgot how hilarious Lords of Contagion are because Terminators, Deep Strike, they don't have a shooting attack, and they only move four inches. So he deep struck his Lord of Contagion nine inches outside of my cultus. And then tried to charge, failed the charge. That's normal. Nobody nobody makes that nine inch charge after you deep strike. It just does not happen. So Except then, when it happened in my in a well, couple of like, my games. It happens it happens every once in a while because the nine inch charge isn't that hard to do, but like it never happens when you want it to happen. Right. When you need it to happen. So he didn't make that. So then he, on the next turn, he moved four inches. So now it is a five inch charge, and he failed that. Oh, and then he had to move forward, and like the whole time he can't advance because you can't charge after you advance. Right. He's only moving four, 
He doesn't have a shooting attack, so he's not doing anything else with this guy except standing in the back, slowly waddling menacing. towards, like, <laughs> yeah, slowly menacing his way towards 20 cultists that are like, again, like, I'm like, okay, 40 rapid shot autocannons, okay, yeah, ballistic skill four, okay, so, you know, a third hit, okay, all right, I need sixes to wound, all right, I wounded you, make your two-up armor save. Oh, you made two two-up armor saves. Okay, out of all of that, nothing. Yeah. So I tied a traitor to get out of that situation. It's like, you know, I'm just going to go over here, play in this corner, and... You have this corner. Well, you have this corner, I have this corner. We'll call it good. We'll call it good. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was a super fun game. Uh, great opponent. Uh, both my opponents were great. Both fun. Everybody seemed like they were having a fun time in the hall. Uh that game did go close to the four-hour limit, like, just because we were kind of going back and forth. And Death Guard up. always takes so Death Guard always takes a little while. That's why I didn't run them last year, because I'd ran them the first year, and it yeah. just took so long. Um, but it was a fun game. Yeah. It was a fun game. All right. And actually, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, because I know, like, obviously people who follow our Facebook page uh, do yep. know, but uh, the army I am, br- I am brought to the friendly is I finally finished painting up the eight. And uh, so I, I was, in, I definitely wanted to run them in a friendly list because I don't think anyone would argue that the eight are a competitive choice. You would not run the eight in anything resembling an <laughs> ITC mission at all. No. So I'm running the eight, and then thematically, I decided the other half of the army should be Shadow Sun, and I wanted to have Shadow Sun and a Stealth Force because that's a, a Stealth Vanguard has always been like something I've wanted to do with her ever since I like mm-hmm. got her built. And I'm absolutely looking forward to using the new Shadow Sun model when it comes out in a month or so. You need to get her built and painted because you got a new one coming. Well, technically, I had the new one. I had her built and painted last year (laughs) in time, last summer for uh, Show Me Showdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I never had one before that. Like, before Show Me Showdown, Shadow Sun was one of the the models I did not have for my Tau. Uh, So now I do, and now I definitely want the new one. But uh, So I've got Shadow Sun, a number like three squads of stealth suits uh, and then two ghost keels. And then I've got dark strider and a squad of like five pathfinders with rail rifles. And then like a squad of marker drones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the only shield drones I have in the army are the two shielded missile drones that come with Ovesa, the two shield drones that come with bright sword and then uh, shadow suns, two shield drones. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise it's all gun drones, marker drones and stealth drones. Um, but, uh, the ghost skills are interesting because they get into people's heads because they are, they are big. So they, you know, they're, they're large. They're not riptide large, but they're still large. And so they, they're like the very definition of a distraction card effects. It's like, if you don't deal with this, it's going to do things to you. Although I would argue that the ghost kill doesn't really pack enough firepower to be a huge threat, but it can put the hurt on some things but because it's large it like triggers a mental reaction it triggers mm-hmm. an emotional reaction where it's like that thing is big it is therefore a threat i need to take care of it i don't want to get too close to it and generally i don't have my ghost kill up so far forward because i don't want to be yeah. too far forward because if i do i negate its other strength which is the minus two to be hit from outside of six inches as long as i have my she- my uh, stealth drones those things will absorb so much firepower because besides like the penalties and it's tough six. So like Bolter fire has problems dealing with it. 
And I, I put a shield generator on it so it can soak up some damage if anything gets through. Um, it does a lot. You know, it, it will basically, like, I've, I will have players, like, both in the practice game I played on Friday where the mechanics player threw, like, most of his army and do, like, going after one ghost keel. Uh, I had the, uh, Sarisa, who played the Grey Knights, she like had one of her venerable dreads, like astral aim, to fire its last cannons and missiles at a ghost kill that it could not see and was hitting on fives, but just because like that thing needs to go yeah. away. And in my game against uh, my my opponent in round two, Tim Miller, who's actually a KC, he lives in Florida now, nice. but he's originally from KC, and he was. Ha- when I, I gave him, I've been giving away objective markers from Midwest Conquest, and he was like, oh, you, what is this? Like, well, these are objective markers from the uh, tournament we run in Kansas City. He's like, oh, I'm glad. He was glad to find out that, like, hey, Kansas City still, ha- it, like, has an active GT scene yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. Very much so, right? Very much. Oh, yeah. There's, uh, between New Year's Knockout that's uh, run uh, up the Geekery yeah. and Show Me uh, Showdown. Show Me and- Showdown. And, it, yeah, it's like, we're... We're in a very good place right now. Midwest he, Conquest. Tickets available at MidwestConquest.com. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but he's actually since moved down to Florida. Yeah. But uh, but he was happy. Flying for the event. Yeah. Well, and I even <laughs> he's like, well, what weekend is it? I'm like Memorial Day weekend. He's like, that's perfect. So who knows? We nice. might be seeing we might be seeing him again. Nice. Uh, but he so yeah he threw a lot of his army into killing the ghost skills. He did finally mm-hmm. get both of them down by like turn four, <laughs> but it. It took a lot to get there. So Tim's army was Primaris, like stock Primaris Ultramarines. So he had a Captain in Gravis armor with a Power Sword and Bolt Storm gauntlet. He had a couple of lieutenants, a uh, librarian, uh, apothecary, three units of ten uh, intercessors with like Power Sword on the sergeants and then just like regular bolt gun, like bolt rifles, a unit of ten Hellblasters. Uh, a unit of six bolt storm gauntlet aggressors, which with ultramarines and their chapter ta- or their their super uh, yeah. doctrine, where they count as being stationary. In, oh, they're uh, super good. Yeah, in uh, tactical doctrine mode. Oh, yeah, that no, they're like at one point he's like, okay, so I'm going to target the pathfinders. I'm like, I'm like, how many shots do you have? He's like, well, let's see. And I was like, and you sta- count as stationary because this point he's in tactical. Yeah, I'm like. So you count stationary, so you're firing twice. It's like, yeah, you've got how many shots per guy? Well, six normally, so twelve. <laughs> like, because they're out. It's like, so it was like, so it was like, yeah, it's seventy-two shots. I'm like, I'm just gonna pick these up and put them over here because do not bother rolling this because they will not. It's like you're hitting on threes, you're wounding on threes, and you're AP minus one, and they have five up armor. It's like, in, yeah, no, there's no point. In one of my games. I don't. I think it was against. It was against Death Guard because it was it was, it was the second game because a, a unit of Death Guard that was like dug in on a building that I just was never going to get to opened up on my final Contemptor and I had one wound left and like they opened up and like hit a bunch and all this stuff like that so I had to make like eight saves or something yeah and I roll and I'm like and it's one of those where I'm like this guy's dead he's one wound one of these has to get through so I rolled it. And the first die I look at, I'm like, yep, there's the two. He's dead. And then I went to pick the other seven dice up, and I'm like, oh, fucker, I made the rest of the saves. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. 
<laughs> so that was kind of funny. Yeah. But uh, and then, made all the other ones. Yeah. And then he also had a uh, Redemptor Dread with like the plasma gun mm-hmm. and then a uh, Repulsor with Last Talon. Okay. So, uh, and the table we were on, it was kind of like the mat was a lava field and like the craters were like lava filled craters. It, it looked really nice. cool. And then the walls were like these, like there were no ruins, but there were these big, tall, like I guess they'd be basalt mm-hmm. or basalt uh, walls. And so there was a lot of line of sight blocking stuff. And I, we, we had pointy Dawn of War as our mm-hmm. deployment. And so I kind of pulled all my stuff into the sides behind these walls. So he had, and he chose to be a, like, he rolled off and he was the attacker. So he deployed first. I got to deploy in response. So I kind of pulled everything mm-hmm. in and he's like, I'm going to choose to go first. And I'm like, I am not going to attempt to seize. So he had to come out and start yeah. coming out to me. And basically how that game ended up being was units were kind of funneled out through, like he would funnel out units through the, through breaks that he could get, like maneuver them around. And then I would bring people out of, start moving people out from behind shelter and open fire, try to clear out stuff and then kind of pull like, and then just reposition tactically so I could maximize, like make sure my characters were hidden behind other units or make sure that like I'm, I'm out of range enough of his stuff that he has to move it forward to get into me. And as far as objectives go, I just got a much better run of objectives than he did. And although I wasn't sure how it was going to go, because first turn, we both completely whiffed on our shooting. Uh, he, like, like I said, he brought, brought out a redemptor and a repulsor. And he opened fire on, like, just my stealth suits and the ghost keel and such. He did not do any damage to the ghost keels. He killed two stealth suits. Because the, and, and that was it. And then my turn, not two units of stealth suits, two. In two different, like, one each in two different units. And then on my turn, I'm like, okay, so I've got, like, Scour of the Sky, so I've got to kill his uh, his repulsor. I did one damage to it. The Redemptor, I did a bit better. It had, like, five or six wounds. Like, I bracketed it, mm-hmm. but still didn't do a lot to it. And so first turn was, like, point, like, none of we none of us scored objectives. We didn't even get the first strike objective. And then second turn... His dice were okay, not great. Like that's the that was the turn that he pretty much took out the the Pathfinders, and then then I was able to bring in the eight, like the rest of the eight that I had deep struck, and I was able to take out the redemp- I was able to take out the Redemptor on turn three. Um, I was able to. Uh, I took out the repulsor, I think, on turn. Yeah, I took out the repulsor on turn three. So, like turn three was like a money turn for me. Mm. Uh, and but also, I just I got better objectives. He got a lot of object. He was getting a lot of objectives in his hand for oh, securing or defending objectives that were on my side of the map. Yeah. And I mean, he even spent two CP for the uh, stratagem to ditch two from your hand and draw two new ones. It still didn't help him a lot. Ooh. And he held on to a couple of objectives, maybe a little bit longer than he should have. Like he got big game hunter. Yeah. When like after both ghost skills were down, so the only big target left was Ovesa. But I had enough. Like I was throwing gun drones away at shots. Sure. And he was overcharging his uh, hell blasters, but he. To get them into line of sight for Avesa, he had to pull them away from the captain. 
So he's overcharging them with nothing to reroll mm. the ones. Like he lost three, uh, Three Hellblasters to overheat Oof. on on that first round of shooting. That's rough. Yeah, he did. He only ended up doing a couple of wounds over over the whole game to Avesa. I did more damage to myself doing like with Nova charges and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, eventually, just I started pulling ahead on that game, and as as stuff is and as stuff is funneling out, uh, like I said, like I take out, I start taking out character. Like I took out his one of his lieutenants. I took out his librarian when i had i pulled witch hunter like right around right the time i needed it so that kind of that that kind of thing um i only lost one member of the eight it happened to be farsight but (laughs) yeah he's the least important version anyway well and he's you know he's kind of one of these characters like he goes in he kills something in melee and then he's stuck out in the open and usually where he is he's going to be the closest target that's far farsight's biggest problem is he's you have to play him in such a way that is not good for his long-term survival. Yeah, I mean, and it's – he's so expensive that – and he's not, like, super durable. Well, he's not terribly – he's, like, a hundred – or he's not terribly expensive, but he's not yeah, super he, – you're like, right. He, he's not durable, and it's, like, he's – he's his play style is so completely different than the rest of the army. It's, like, in my, in my game, and I, you know, I had, like – chaos lords and stuff that run up and you know get in a fight and then they'd be kind of standing out there but like there's like a unit of terminators or a unit of berserkers near them or something else so they have a little bit of other things up there fighting with them farsight's like who else who else are you going to run into melee with farsight yeah like it, he is going to be by himself and he's going to be out in the open because there's no other good support melee functions in that army yeah which is like i love him as a character but He's really hard to use. <laughs> well, and it's also rough. Like you've got you've got a couple of characters who have like the fusion blades and the honor gauntlet. I love them. They're yeah. fun to play with, and they're they're not bad in the right circumstances, mm-hmm. but in close combat. But between the two of them, they have three attacks. Yeah, dedica- those attacks hit like freight trains. But yeah. I have three attacks. Yeah. A dedicated melee army will rip you apart. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you try to get in there with them. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that game, I just, I pulled ahead of, on objectives and I just continued to get objectives that I needed. So, ended that one 12 to 3. Okay. Um, and uh, so, so I'm 1 and 1 going in, I will be 1 and 1 going into day 2. Nice. So, we'll see how, t- how tomorrow goes. Uh-huh. I still haven't technically won a game in two years. <laughs> 2018, it's two years ago. Yeah, well, fair <laughs> enough. Well, it, it's still possible. You still, you've yeah. got, you got time to turn this around. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, two more games tomorrow, which will be fun. Uh, we're up in the sky view this year, uh, which is super cool because it's up on the top of the hotel. So it's this great view of the whole, and the it's whole, got windows on stri- both yeah. sides. So yeah, you see um, everything. And it's crazy. We're next to where the 30K guys are playing. So like I've taken some photos and video of, like, the 30K stuff they've got going. Uh, last year on Sunday, they had the giant, like, APOC game. Uh-huh. So I don't know if they're going to do that again, but that was super cool to see all the big, big Warlord Titans and stuff out. Um, yeah, so it's just really cool. Like, it's a cool space. It's separate from the 40K floor, so it's, you know, two years ago we were in the same room, but this is a little bit separate. Plus there's no room in the main yeah, hall. plus for- there's just no room anymore. But, uh, yeah, it's super cool. Like, it's... 
it's a really cool space. They've done a really good job setting it up. Yeah. No, it, yeah, the, the, the space has been used very well. And, uh, and the friendly had, like, there were something like 120 people signed up for the, like, 120, 130 signed up for the friendly. I think we had 80 show up. And I think some of those were people who had, like, just signed up for, like, had a pass that signed up for everything. Yeah. And just, or, you know, just didn't make it or were busy playing in the, the champs. Well, but I also know that there was a handful of people that were not signed up for the event that they added. Yeah. So. But still, there's like 80, I mean, their friendly is bigger than all of Midwest Conquest. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's still pretty cool to see. And you can tell everybody in there is kind of on, at least, as like, now I know some of the lists are probably what I would consider more skewed towards the competitive side and some are skewed more towards the fluffy side. Sure. But everybody in there, you can tell they're all there with kind of the same mental state. Like yeah. we're here, we're here just to have fun. We just want to play, have fun. We're not we're not focused on the the competitive doggy dog stuff. Yeah, we we just want to we want to play and have fun and have cool cool armies and. So there's 78 official players. 78 official. Here, okay. So, so we are one tenth the size of the. Or no one. No one tenth. Yeah, one tenth the size of the uh, the GT. So. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's still good. That's yeah. Still- oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's great. So, no, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Everybody looks at there. They're, you know, there to have fun. There are some really cool looking, well-painted armies, some really cool conversions. Um, the the two that stuck out, there was one that this guy did a, uh, basically converted the, uh, I can't think of the, 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 Carrot and, Over- Over- and Overlords. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 from Age of Sigmar, the, steampunk dwarves into a uh, space marine force yeah. which was really cool um, there was a orc looted buggy list that every well, not even buggies everything in the army was looted from something else so there were ludas that were wearing like Eldar wraith masks there were uh, Gretchen that were riding gene stealers yes. uh, there was a buggy that was made out of like half of the hull of an Imperial Knight. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's so yeah. cool. Orcs so, are such a cool army. And, and they're <laughs> so like, it's like you can just go through this and like try to figure it, like you could do a find the parts from this. There's a, there is an orc Luda riding a Necron destroyer and he's like got wires hooked into the back of his head and he's got like a, a little remote control and the arms been replaced with like the old smart missile arms from a broadside or there's the the orc like the the trike like the war boss yeah. on trike and it's a custodes jet bike strapped to like a buggy <laughs> like chained with actual yeah, like chain chains so great or the uh the venom that had venom on wheels, like a trike venom on wheels, and the but then mounted on it is the uh, gun cupola from like the old immolator kit. <laughs> it's just and then like a val like a missile battery off of like a Valkyrie, yeah, <laughs> strapped to it. So cool, yeah. Um, so many great conversions. There were some really great armies. There was a really awesome white scars painted army. Yes, that just looked amazing. Um, yeah, so many good armies. Uh, a one I really liked is there is a Primaris. You know, obviously unofficial because Grey Knights, uh, spoilers, since I think we can talk about it now since it's up for pre-order, uh, Ritual of the Damned, Grey Knights do not get the Primaris treatment. Of course they don't, because they suck. <laughs> but <laughs> this guy has converted a, uh, 
a Grey Knight's Primaris army. Like he's got a he's got a Primaris like basically a repulsor painted silver with like the red and white striping and like the sword logos. And then he converted Bobby G to be like Super Drago. Yeah. It was super cool. And I think he's probably doing like the like one of the custom uh like custom built chapters. Yeah. So he's got like the like the save against like mortal wounds and stuff like that and yeah. But it was really cool conversion work. So, oh yeah. Yeah, like just the 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 fluff, the themes, the 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 conversions and the painting that people have done for this, like it's they time and effort's been put into these armies. So. Yeah, these definitely passion projects, and yeah. it's it's very cool to see. So it's kind of funny because they were talking about that. Like I was talking with Tim in the first game, he had mentioned uh, about you know how long did it take you to do this army it's like that because we were talking about all the other ones. And I was like, okay, that's a complicated question. I've been working on this army for three years. But I've put about three weeks worth of work into that army in the three years. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, contrast paints. Like, they're, they're, they're freaking great. <laughs> so it's like, but yeah, it's like, it's three weeks worth of work that I've crammed into the last, like, four weeks of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but technically, I've been working on this army for six years, or like three years. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, I don't put in as much effort on some of that stuff as other people do, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, so one thing I will say, if anybody is painting with contrast paints, uh, make sure you seal your models because the the uh, noise marines that I painted uh, that I painted on Wednesday, so three days ago, and I put into a case and drove here, so not even go through like TSA already are starting to have paint chip off. Yeah, because so, the, like, the layer, to... yeah, the layer of pigment that goes down on these with contrast is very thin. Yeah. It will wear off very quickly. So I've not noticed it with the other stuff, with like the 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 Alpha Legion stuff that I did, because some of the paints are a little bit more opaque, a little bit stronger. Um, I haven't noticed with the other ones, but those especially, like the the darker us, uh, purple, or yeah, shyish purple, shyish purple. Uh, wears off super easy. So yeah. uh, when I get back, that's the first thing I'm going to do is I have to touch them up and then I'm going to hit them with a uh, dull coat. So. All right. Well, we are looking at nearly two hours for okay. this part and we've covered our games for, for Saturday. So we're going to take a, we're going to take a break. We'll come back for tomorrow's coverage. We'll talk about our last two games. Hopefully we should have info on the winners of both the LVO and the ITC and uh, we'll f- wrap up our LVO coverage. So, uh, For us, it's a day, but for you, see you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? 
Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in a convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and it is Sunday, and all the games have been played, everything is over. And so we're going to start off talking about the LVO Champs, and then we'll get into the LVO Friendly, which we actually played in. Uh, but uh, today was the finals, uh, the uh, the top eight played. So last yeah. night, uh, while while we were recording, I think had we hadn't finished that they didn't have no we didn't have the the, the shadow round. round yeah. So uh, so basically, thirteen players went into the uh, so the top three. There were three that were seated in, yep. and then after that, there were eight other players or 10 other players that played to fill out the fi- the final five. So the 13 that went in, there were uh, two Eldar, one Orc, one Chaos, uh, one Mixed Imperium, and then eight varieties of Space, Space Marines. Marines. And technically that Imperium list was like Mechanicus, Blood Angels, and... Yeah, it, say it went heavily on Space Marines. I think it had some Guard in there as like a CP battery. Oh, right, yeah. But like it, it, it was... It was a heavy Space Marine list, too. So, yeah, eight or nine, depending how you cut it, of the final... Nope, nope, it was Iron Hands, Mechanicus, and Blood Angels. Oh, okay. Yes. So, nine of the 13 yeah. th- you know, that went undefeated were Space Marines of some ver- of some variety. Right. And uh, so they played those games out... That You know, they got, they got their final eight in- yesterday, or last night, and then today those eight played single elimination games... And in the end, it came down to Brad Chester playing a Raven Guard successor army versus Richard Siegler playing a Iron Hands army. Yeah, yeah I mean, and apparently, if the um, if you look on the uh, Frontline Gaming website, they have a kind of play by play of the of the round, and and it's obviously it'll be up on Twitch and you know where they streamed it and stuff. But uh, apparently, it was a super cagey game. Uh, apparently it was, you know, very, very tight. The final score was 21-20, and it uh, sounded like it came down to Brad was unable to kill a Mortis Dread. Yeah. Um, and that was basically the deciding factor. Or uh, maybe in the Leviathan. I think or it was Leviathan, Leviathan, Dread. Leviathan Dread. Yeah. Uh, was unable to kill a Leviathan and left it with a couple wounds left, and that, then he was able to, Richard was able to kill, kill units on his turn to get Killmore and, that, and, and end up winning. Yeah, because so. they were like going into the last <clears throat> turn, they were like tied 17-17. 17-17, yeah. yeah. So tight game, uh, very cagey, but it doesn't sound like there was any drama or any anything major like that. And obviously, like the BCP problems were all worked out. Everything's yeah. fine. But uh, so Richard Siegler wins and is LVO champ and ITC champ. Yes. So very, you know, congratulations to him. That was very, very awesome. Uh, we did have his list, you know, pulled up. So yeah, and to, Brad's as well. Yeah. So just to let you know, like his list, 
uh, it was Iron Hands, so it was, you know, pure Iron Hands. Uh, then, you know, Chaplain Venerable, Venerable Dreadnought. Which we talked about yesterday. Ch- another one, so two Chaplain Dreadnoughts. Uh, uh, two, three, uh, three five-man intercessor squads with Stalker Bolt Rifles. Iron Father Pharos. Uh, it, so that was, uh, sorry, that was a battalion. A second battalion with Iron Father Pharos, a, primi- a pr- uh, Primaris Lieutenant. Uh, nine intercessors. Wait, so two, or one, two. Oh, yeah, yeah. And two ten-man squads. Two ten-man intercessor squads, a four-man intercessor squad, all with Stalker Bolt or five Rifles. five-man, yeah. Sorry, five, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. All with Stalker Bolt Rifles. Uh, one of the sergeants had a Thunder Hammer, one of them had a Power Fist, one other one had a Power Fist. A Primaris Apothecary, a Spearhead Detachment with a third Chaplain Venerable Dreadnought, uh, and then one, two, three Eliminator squads, and a Relic Leviathan. Yeah. That is so. That's so. I mean, it's a good got, list. I mean, yeah, you've got the three chaplain dreads who can put out litanies. Um, you've got six intercessors, so you have plenty of things to cap objectives and iron hands with stalker bolt rifles because you're in devastator. So stalker bolt, like, so your AP is better. They're heavy yeah. weapons, but you don't care because you're moving without penalty. You're re-rolling ones all the time. I mean, it's the best possible weapon, best possible troop choice for you. And as we all know, Primaris Marines are very resilient. Mm-hmm. Especially with, yeah, especially with the Feel No Pain. Yep. Uh, and Eliminator squads are really good. Um, I, I mean, faced, you're picking out characters. Like, you take Headhunter if you can. You pick out yeah. characters. I, I faced one in my, my third game in the Friendly, and that one squad of three just devastated. You know, so three units of them, like, is really good. They're they're You get them in cover, and they're... They're, you know, camo cloak, uh, camo cloak scouts, you know, like two up armor saves. So it's, yeah, they're. And also, the Relic Leviathan Dread is his warlord. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, that very last trait there. Yeah. And I mean, Relic Leviathan Dreads are already good. Iron Hands have the tools to make them fantastic. And yeah. Yeah. So it's a well built list. I mean, mm. Iron Hands are really good. Yep. And then, uh, what he was playing against, Brad Chester's Raven Guard. And he was playing a Raptors, so Raven Guard successor. And so Raptors don't have a chapter tactic right now, uh, but they do have a character in uh, the Forge World indexes, yep. uh, Lys Isidon. Uh So you can kind of make your own thing. So in this case, they took Long Range Marksman and Master Artisans. So Long Range Marksman adds extra range to your, all your weapons. Uh, Master Artisans is basically half of Salamander, so you're re-rolling one hit and re-rolling one wound every turn for each unit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a smash captain with Thunderhammer Storm Shield jump pack, a chaplain a, with a jump pack and Storm Bolter, uh, three scout squads with sniper rifles, two of them at five man, one of them at ten. Uh, and then, let's see, a squad of one, two, three, four, five, six, Hurricane Bolter, Flamer, uh, Centurion, like a Centurion Assault Squad, so yep. six are there. And then another one of one, two, three, four. It's equipped the exact same way. Then a squad of Grav Cannon, Grav Amp, Centurion Devastators, which we had actually been talking about yeah. over lunch. Like, why? So, why one thing. Were, yeah, why were, Centuri- why were Assault Centurions in the new hotness, but Grav, De- you know, Grav Centurions not? And apparently they well, are. Well, and also, we, we were seeing a lot of lists, and uh, 
it grav van like grav cannons grav because cannon, of yeah. all the marines and all the vehicles out there grav cannons are back in the meta and you're yep. seeing us like devastators in drop pods with like so drop pods actually still have their use depending on what they're delivering yeah. but in this case you've got centurions which are really cheap for what you get and grav cannons with grav amps will get you what you need and then he's also got a thunderfire cannon because that's very very good and then so that was so that was one battalion, and then a second battalion of, again, Raptors, Leah Cisadon, a Primaris lieutenant with a mastercrafted stalker bolt rifle, two uh, five-man infiltrator squads, and then a five-man intercessor squad with just bolt rifles and a thunderhammer on the sergeant. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got, like, so this one, other than the thunderfire cannon, it's, it's all foot-slogging stuff uh, versus a mostly foot-slogging, I mean... It doesn't sound like either of these lists have a ton of mobility, but you've got unit, you've got troops that you can move around, and they all have units you can de- like infiltrate in. Yeah, that's the big thing. Yeah, you don't necessarily need the movement because you've got units that can deploy in other locations. And I mean, quite frankly, some of the stuff that like the the chaplain dreads and some of the stuff they have like for the long shooting. Yeah, I don't really need to move that much. You can reach out and touch anything on the board usually. Right. So yeah. Um. Now it's too. It's interesting that yes, there is clearly a space marine power problem. You don't get this many lists in the top eight. Like, and ideally, you'd have a much wider spread. I do find it very interesting that the top two lists were very, very different space marines. Yes, that play completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, Which that's not I, to say that's not to say that like space marines aren't broken. They clearly are. It's just interesting that there are multiple ways to build good competitive. I, I think it 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 goes to Space Marines are an army now. I think they overall they don't have a great external balance in mm-hmm. that um, they're like they definitely skew the environment very heavily, more heavily than they probably should right now. Even though they are technically the poster, you know, the poster yeah. boy for forty k. But internally, I think they have very good balance because we are seeing units come back that, like, we are seeing units being used that we didn't see before. I've yeah. seen, and like, I'm seeing even in in the friendly units, like like whirlwinds are back on the table in some cases, and they're not doing badly. Yeah, you know, there there's some like tac marines are still, you know, they still have the same problem, and they've had that problem for a long time. It's yep. not just with this codex, uh, but. We're seeing a lot more variety, and like I said, these two lists could not play more different. Yeah, and even if you look at the top, you know, those those top eight lists, there were several different builds. Like, there were a couple that were, like, Iron Hands kind of mirror, mirror versions of the list, you know, because nothing's, you know, people pick units that are good at list building, pick the same units, not because they're copying each other, because they're good at list building. Right. Like, it's, you, you have some of the same units show up just because it, they're good. But I thought it was very interesting that, yeah, while there were, you know, five Space Marines in the top eight, um, or whatever it was, they were, there were several different builds of that. You know, and, and we talked about this with the, the Imperial Knight Codex. The Imperial Knight Codex had pretty good internal balance. You could pick three or four different households and pick different units and it all kind of worked. The problem is it just had no external balance. And this right. is where, right, where we're at with Space Marines. Yeah. And that's kind of an easier fix, I think. To, like, fix the external balance. I mean, in this case, there's some specific things with Space Marines that are going to cause problems. But, like, 
I think it's easier to adjust. You have more levers to adjust to, to fix the power level when the internal balance of the book is good and you're just comparing it to the other armies. Yeah. So it's and I don't think at this point I don't think it's a points adjustment. I I think the point that the amount yeah. of stuff that you're bringing to the table is fine. It's not even the powers of most of the individual units, although again, Chaplain Venerable Dreadnoughts and Relic Leviathans have shown themselves yeah. to definitely be overpowered at this point. I mean, let, let's be honest with this, like the big rebalance for the super competitive Space Marine list that we're seeing right now is going to be when Forge World updates the rules for mm. those models and, quite frankly, sends some of them to Legends because if there's no model for a Chaplain Venerable Dread and there hasn't been four years, why is it not in Legends? Exactly. Like, well, I, and, and at and the I time the indexes came out, yeah. Legends were not was not a thing. Sure, but like... That's what should happen when they when they reprint this, and that's not to pick on the dread the 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 chaplain dread. I like the model as a concept. I think it's very cool. Uh, my opponent in, in round three had one of those, and he had the actual model. It's a very cool model, but if it's not available and it's super broken rules wise, maybe cause it because it, it wasn't designed when the litany system existed. Exactly. And the and litany have kind of been bolted onto Yeah, it. and it hasn't been updated, so it hasn't been changed in any way. So it has all of the good stuff it had before and now litanies. And it's like, no, that's not what the intent was. Right. So it's... they There will be a rebalancing, and I think the most egregious things are the Forge World stuff. I do think there are other things. Because if you take the Forge World Dreadnoughts out of the equation... Things are still two top tier lists. Yeah, the Iron Hands stuff is still good. Yeah, that still would have just taken more Eliminators and more, uh, you know, other Dreadnoughts and stuff. Yeah. So it still would have been a very good list. I'm not saying that, oh, he broke in Forge World. That is one aspect of the problem. The other aspect is that there are some things that they made the units function properly the way they wanted to fluffy, fluff wise, but now, they have too many abilities. They have too many good abilities. Yeah. Um, Personally, you know, a solution I would like to see is a lot of the relic stuff, and I guess also the Hellforged or you know, rel- like the chaos equivalent of relic. Yeah. Uh, move to thirty k only. I, I yeah, but I just painted up two dreadnoughts, and I really want to use them. I know, but that <laughs> no, I, yeah, but no, no I, you- I honestly. And I know they've got, like, they have rules in the Codex for Cataphracti Terminators and Tartaros Terminators and Contemptor Dreads, you know, just stock, you know, 40k rules because they did plastic kits for them. Yeah. I don't care. Let, you know, the only, I feel, and this may be an unpopular opinion, I think the only army in 40k that should have access to a Contemptor to use in regular play is Custodes, because all their shit is ancient. Sure. They are, they are, they are supposed to be using... High, like, age of tech, or, like, you know, pre-dark age. So you mean to tell me that a a 10,000-year-old dreadnought that is older than, uh, oh, I just blanked on his name, the guy from Space Wolves. Bjorn the Fellhand. Thank you. A 10,000-year-old Contemptor Dread that is way older than Bjorn the Fellhand, who is the oldest known Space Marine dreadnought. You don't mean you mean that's the contradiction in the fluff? It's not so much that it's a contradiction (laughs) in the fluff, but it's, yeah, it seems like, like, or if not the 40 – if not have some sort of system where, like, that stuff is horse heresy only because that's the era that that stuff was used and a lot of it was probably destroyed during the heresy and or again, in the 10,000 years afterwards. In our conversations we've had about Legends, because we've talked a lot about Legends, 
Legends shouldn't just be the things that don't have models. That don't have models. I would actually be 100% okay if they took all of the Relic 30k stuff and said, this is Legends. That's Legends. You can play with it in 40k. You can play casually with it, but it is not. So here are the rules. Here are the rules for it. We will continue to make rules for it. It's not competitive. I would totally, be, totally okay with I, that. Yeah, I think I would be fine with that. But, uh, and because the relic restriction of you have to take one heavy support choice to take a heavy relic or a, yeah. an elite is no restriction at all. It is honestly not. And, like, I know there are people who have, like, Fellblade tanks and things like Like, you have your yeah. Spartan that you want to use. Uh, that's nice and all, and yeah. I would even be fine, and this will probably make a lot of people upset, but I would even be fine moving the uh, the Forge World Knights into that as well. Into a Legends. Yeah, the Forge World Knights are a little bit of an interesting thing, because not all of them are ancient. Yeah. Like, not all of them are specifically Heresy Era. Some of them are like, hey, we made a cool Mechanicus Knight, and it's 40k current. I think, um, yeah, I think they'd have to pick yeah. and choose. Anything but, but, that's showing, any, any knights that are showing up in Adeptus Titanicus, though. Yeah. They're obviously, but sure. that does include the plastic sure. kits, so it's, there's, a, there's a fine balance yeah. there. Well, no, and that's, that's the thing for me, and like, kind of an unpopular opinion that I'll put out there. Legends can be a way for them to balance the game. By removing units. Yes. And that doesn't just mean removing overpowered units or, or removing non-error appropriate units or ones that don't get rules updates ever. Like, thinning out some of the, like, some of the duplicate or some of the extraneous... Like, for example, as you mentioned, like, the, the Terminators. There's no reason for there to be three different data sheets for Terminators in the Space Marine Codex. Right. You know, it's like... You could move a couple of them to Legends and be like, you can still use them, just not like, competitively. Yeah, legend, just, Legends are know, fine for narrative no, play. They're absolutely fine for narrative play. Because nobody will argue that, like, Cataphracty Terminators are what's broke in the Space Marine Codex. Yeah. But, like, removing that, remove them from the Codex, put them into Legends, and then that's a slot in the Codex, that's pages in the Codex, that you can put other stuff in. Or that you can fill out more fluff. Or you can do, and it's like, you just... Or just make the book a little bit thinner. Or make the book thinner, but, like... You can then, like, have more design choices available to you by getting rid of these legacy units that don't necessarily have a current role. I don't know. I don't know that they'll do that. Uh, if they do do that, it'll be a very long way away because they want people to accept Legends before they start right. based, putting out de facto ban lists. Um, but I think that's where, I mean, from a game design perspective, that's an easy lever to pull. Yes, I mean absolutely. It's the because the now and maybe maybe when we get the revised Forge World indexes, Imperial Armor, whatever they're going to be called, maybe we'll see. Maybe the Relic Leviathan will be toned down, or maybe sure. they'll come up with well, a new system to make it usable without the. I would hope, as we mentioned earlier, with the uh, the Forge World rules team being rolled into the main rules team. God, I hope they're going to be communicating. You know, I hope that they're going to be taking those units into consideration when they design new codexes, when they design new Psychic Awakening books or whatever the next campaign's going to be, that they're thinking about, okay, putting litanies in for chaplains and changing the way chaplains work requires us to reprint not only these data sheets, but also these Forge World data sheets. Yeah. And just, just having that consistent vision and, and, 
care taken into it will help. But I also do think that, like, yeah, there's some units that could be pulled. You know, there, there's there's some units due to power level, due to just wonkiness, due to they just don't fit, that could probably be pulled. And, and I would expect that some of that Forge World stuff that's in the index is probably going to get moved to Legends. Yeah. I mean, I would, ex- I would expect it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. That is pure speculation, so don't, don't. How, however, <laughs> in the immediate future. Yeah. We, you know, obviously when events have had results that have shown GW that the game is the power level of the game or, or the meta is heavily skewed because of unintended consequences. Yeah. Well, when GW is here, they were seeing this. They were right. streaming the games. They had people here. Right, like, exactly. They, well, they know. Well, and I'm thinking back to like the that first Adepticon after 8th mm-hmm. edition when it's like, oh, we, we need to put a rule of three in place. Or, or last year with the uh, with the Castellan. Like, yeah. they, they were walking around counting Castellans on tables and go, this isn't what we meant, you know. Right. So we, we, uh, we, have, we have aired yeah, so they're aware of it. Like they, I, if this was two thousand, you know, thirteen GW, I could argue that well, maybe they are going to sit in their tower and kind of go na 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 and and ignore it. But current GW has shown that they don't, that they won't ignore this. Yeah, they, they will don't. Do they don't. They want the game to, yeah. to be enjoyable because an unenjoyable game. Is not good PR for the company, and it doesn't move models. And I don't, and I, I don't want to seem too cynical about that, but that is a business a reality. Yeah, they're a corporation. Their their end game is to sell models. Like it, it is, it is, and what it is. <laughs> but they also know that they sell more models to fans who are happy, who yeah. are excited for the game, and who. And granted, I imagine they've been selling a ton of Space Marines models, but they're also seeing that the downside of that is, at a competitive level, anyway, they've skewed the they've skewed the game more than they, than they want to absolutely um and while we talked in the first part of the show about how again the people who attending here are a very small fraction of the people who are actually active in the game which is again i think kind of the context yeah. i'm gonna bring that in at the same time a competitive scene like this and especially an event like lvo where you have hunt hundreds and hundreds of players playing you know so if you figure there were 790 players uh, maybe after, maybe after day one was over, maybe like seven fifty or yeah. something like. So let's say there's seven hundred fifty players. Seven hundred fifty players played six games of forty k. So that's fifteen hundred. That's forty five hundred games of forty k at a at a high end level being played. Not counting then the final like eight game, you know, five yeah. or six, you know. But you couldn't ask for a better beta test mm-hmm. of this game in real time. And, of course, there's all the data from all the events leading up to this. So, obviously, they're yeah, they're going to have information. And I've seen some people bring up, like, well, at least it wasn't John Lennon versus Richard Siegler in the final match. Because that would have been basically an Iron Hands mirror match. Yeah. And that would have also – that would have looked very bad on stream. And I also heard rumors that there were some players – who were intentionally not playing Iron Hands because they were afraid that if Iron Hands did too well, Iron Hands would get hit hard with the nerf bat. I mean, I think that's I think that's a little naive because I think GW has I think GW's aware of the issues. Yeah. Um but you know, yeah. it, it's but, a, that yeah. kind of reaction of I don't want I like this faction as it is. I don't want to see it get screwed over. But here we are. It, yeah. That you know, they won anyway. Yeah. Slight correction: it's twenty two hundred games because you doubled. There's each game has two players. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so twenty two. But still, twenty two hundred games. Yeah, over two thousand games yeah. played in a weekend. That's a. L- yeah. 
just so yeah, no, it's it's great. It's a great testing ground for them. It's great for them because they can look at the raw numbers, they can look at the list and go, okay, this isn't what we intended, or this is working as is. Yeah, you know, they'll look at Grey Knights and go, perfect. Well, we don't need to change anything. <laughs> well, and this uh, sorry, this, and this, <laughs> this this is a pre Ritual of the Damned Grey Knights. It is. I don't know if Ritual of the Damned is going to make a huge impact. We'll talk about that when we get a chance to look, you know, really discuss the book. But sure. uh, um, so. My question is, knowing that, like, this is the kind of event, and we've got Adepticon in a couple of months, mm-hmm. knowing that this, this is the kind of thing that triggers FAQs, A, do you think they'll wait until big, the April big FAQ before they make any changes? And whether they do them now or after Adepticon, what, what changes do you think they might make? So, technically, the big FAQ is due in, in March. Technically, be, but they always for Adepticon. But they learn so, to put it off until after Adepticon because of the amount of havoc it can wreak, depending on how late in March it has. But what I'm wondering is, I think they'll move it up. They might. They they have it in their back pocket that the scheduled date is March. So if they release it in March ahead of Adepticon, they haven't like they're doing what they do. If they push it to April, well, that's what they always do. So it's no big deal. I don't think they want to go through another event with Iron Hands dominating or Space Marines dominating. Yeah. Um, that is my personal opinion. I don't know that, but I, I, they I, I think they're aware of the issue and I think they'll work to address it. Um, they're painted a little bit in a corner as we talked about earlier, you know, before we recorded. There's not like from a fluff perspective and from a, uh, rules perspective, like they're, Kind of where they want to be with Space Marines, mm-hmm. um, and I'd say the problems, points level as well. Yeah, and the points level, the points are not the issue. Just changing points will not fix this. No, but I also don't know that going through and rewriting the Codex less than six months after you came out is a good idea either. And it's almost what it would take is like them restructuring key parts of it. So what I think you might see is you may see tinkering on the edges. Um, they're also, I think, unfortunately, a little bit in a little bit of a spot with. The Forge World stuff and the timing on it, because I do think that there's going to be massive changes to the Forge World stuff, but I don't know when those are going to come. Those are probably going to be later in the summer. So do they wait until all of those changes to see what these lists look like without the Forge World support? Or do they try to change it at the same time? They're talking with those teams and they're designing them together, so maybe they'll know. But well, I get the impression it's one team now. It's like yeah, all it's one like, unified yeah, so team. It's like one team that's working on all this. But it's hard to know when you're, you know, when you're doing any project, let alone designing something as complicated as a 40k rule set. It's hard to know what piece is what's triggering it. You know, it could be that no, if you take out the Forge World Dreadnoughts, the army's fine, the army's good but beatable. When you add in all these, you know, quote unquote broken units, that's when it it cascades and causes other effects. Or it could be that they're like, no, actually the Dreadnoughts are fine. Those rules are fine. What's broken is the combat doctrines or the what's broken is the super doctrine type thing. See, so, I, see, I would lean more towards – I don't I don't think combat doctrines in and of themselves are broken. I no, think combat doctrines – I love the concept. 
And I think for the most part, it works. I think armies that kick off with Devastator Doctrine as – I think the Super Doctrine is where the where the real issue lies. Yeah. The, A, they are not all created equal. No, not at all. They're not – And you saw, the, like, Craven Guard and Iron Hands are, are the best. Well, yeah. And the fact that you can get the Super Doctrine even if you're a successor chapter, so you can tailor your successor traits and then also get the Super Doctrine that you want. So what I wonder is – and I, I don't know that we ever looked this up because I don't think either one of us have our Space Marine Codex here. Do you get the Super Doctrine if you're Space Marines and you add in Blood Angels or Dark Angels or Space Wolves? Because if it triggers off the Adeptus Astartes keyword, you still have... So... Because... And again, and, and we don't know, so I, I apologize that we do not know the answer. You know, we're, we're trying to look it up, but we may not, you know, we may not have all the information in front of us. If... You still get your super, if adding in a space marine, taking a space marine detachment and adding in blood angels, dark angels, space wolves breaks your super doctrine, but taking iron hands and raven guard doesn't, that's an easy lever for them to pull and be like, well, no, you only get the combat doctrine if you're all the same chapter. They could do something like that. They could change how combat doctrines work and make them more limited, where you only get to be in combat doctrines for a turn. You know, you get one turn in your game of Devastator Doctrine. You get one turn of Assault Doctrine. You get one turn of Tactical Doctrine, and then you're out. Or you have to switch, and you kind of rotate through them. So there's a couple of different ways they can do it to make them... to kind of nerf those a little bit. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. This is This is why I don't get paid to design games, because... I don't know the answer. <laughs> so, um, after doing some research into, we, we were able to find information from coverage of the Ultramarines Codex or the uh, Codex Supplement. Um, and I'm assuming Iron Hands are going to be worded the same way, and I'm Blood Angels and such. Yeah, All these should yeah. be consistent. Uh, if your army is battleforged, uh, then in addition to the detachment abilities gained from Codex Space Marines, units in your army with the Combat Doctrine's ability, see Codex Space Marines. In, like this Ultramarine sure. gain the signs of Gilliman ability so long as, with the exception of unaligned units, every unit from your army is an Ultramarines unit, or every unit from your army is from the same Ultramarines successor chapter. So, if you have Iron Hands and, say, White Scars or something like that. So you don't get the count. You the super do. Do- yeah, you don't yeah. get the Super Doctrine. Super Doctrine okay. is the entire army has to be that, which is why okay. you see Iron pure Iron Hands list. Or it would have to be a pure Iron Hand successor list. You couldn't even sure. mix Iron Hands and Iron Hand successor. You would not get. Okay, that makes sense. So you know they want you to play again. It's a way to uh, to yeah get to incentivize playing monofaction armies, which is something we've yeah. been wanting to see. It's just that so there is a cost involved in taking the doctrine, but I think also the Iron Hands one is too good. Yes. I would agree with that. So I, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what they're going to do, but um, yeah, that's why they make the big bucks. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, let's let's compare this. The, like, Ultramarines. Ultramarines get a pretty solid one, and there's some units, like, especially aggressors and just intercessors in general, mm-hmm. that very much benefit from this, and it's while the tactical doctrine is active, which also you do cannot have until at least turn two at the soonest, or turn two at the soonest. Yep. Um, models with this ability that moved in your movement phase but did not advance or fall back can make attacks with ranged weapons in the following shooting phases if their unit remains stationary. 
That's a very good ability. But it is a situational ability. It does, you know, it stacks very nicely with tactical doctrine, but it's one ability that is useful, not overpowering, definitely has a, a, a very strong tactical play, you know, usage on the tabletop. The Iron Hands one has two abilities that specifically stack with, you know, the fact that, like, your Devastator Doctrine is already making your weapon, your heavy weapons AP one better. Yeah. And then you get no penalty to move and shoot and reroll ones, which is also why you don't see a lot of, like, you don't have to have a captain or you don't have to have other things in the... Iron Hands list because you're never going to leave Devastator Doctrine and the fact that you can build out your troops to all be equipped with heavy weapons and gain all those benefits that is that is too good. Now if it was just reroll ones or just move without penalty because if an Iron Hands list had had to stay uh, stationary to get the benefit of it yeah. That would be a tactical choice. Like, yeah, you you have now made this Iron Hands list into a fixed gun line list. Yeah. Which would put it at a disadvantage. It's still a very good ability, but it puts it at a disadvantage. Or, and actually, I think that would be the better choice than the reroll ones. Yeah. I think because it's our... Reroll ones is too powerful ability to just hand out to Devastator Doctrine. So I kind of get why they do it, though, for Iron Hands. And I, not to say that it's not that it, it's not powerful... But with Iron Hands, they want you, from the fluff perspective, to be taking tech priests. Yeah. You know, tech, mar- not tech priests, tech marines. Yeah. You know, Iron Father, Furos, like that. So it's like, they want you to take those. And if you're using your HQ slots on that, you're not taking captains. You're not taking lieutenants. You're not getting those rerolls from other sources. So it's an ability, a way to be like, okay, we'll give you this ability to make up for the lack of captains. But it's not situational enough. And it's just way better than having captains. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you, you know, you tried to, you tried to get around this limitation by giving them the best version of it. And it's like, that's, that's not game balance. Right. And really, it's like the limitation should have been that's the trade off of the yes. faction and the fact that you get it top of one. The ability is active immediately going into the game, which gives you an alpha strike. Alpha strikes are not good for the game. Yeah. Not generally. Agreed. Agreed. So, I I would take away, I would either take away the, I, no, I would just take away the minus one, or not the minus one, I would take away the reroll ones. It's, that is too good. Moving, giving everything in your army power of the machine spirit, effectively, is very Iron Hands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, like the, the, some of the stuff they have, like, totally makes sense, but it's like, you know, and again, like, from a fluff perspective, sure, like, there's, you know... They can move without doing it because they're augmented. It's like, but I don't know. I just, there has to be some rules balance. This is still a game. Yeah. And like, that's why like, for example, like the movie Marines aren't a faction. Right. You know, because movie Marines like are all these awesome things. And it's like, yeah, but. Well, they are. They're custodes, but kind of. No, because even they're toned down. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but like, that's why you don't have like. Those, you know, you, that's why, like, in the fluff, for example, mm-hmm. um, two space marines take out an entire horde of orc boys, you know, 
because they're so much stronger, they're so much tougher, and, like, it's work. But, like, yeah, they're just chopping through orc boys all day. Well, on tabletop, 30 orc boys against two space marines are, gonna, are going to wipe the floor That's with barely them. a speed bump. Yeah. So it's like, they've already made consent, you know, concessions consent. against the quote-unquote fluff because it's a different medium. The, the rules fluff is different than the game. Mm-hmm. And it, and it has to be. It's just, it just has to be. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see how they respond to this. Um, I think they've collected all their data now and they're going to take some time to analyze it. And yeah, we'll see what changes they come up with. Yeah. Like, but it's also challenging. And you mentioned this as well. Like, it's a challenge because some of those other books are already in print. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause the, the, the problem right now is you've got, sp- like, we know Saga of the Beast is coming, and we're pretty sure it's going to be Space Wolves versus Orcs. Space Wolves, while they don't follow the na- the normal Codex structure, they're mm-hmm. not, you know, they're not Codex Astartes compliant, to have some sort of balance, they will have to get something either comparable to Combat Doctrines, or they'll have Combat Doctrines, even yeah. though they don't have Tachmarines. Like, they can still have the same basic, we move through these stages of combat, so, and I imagine if they do, they will most likely have an assault based because that's kind of, you know, that's yeah. very much in, in uh, flavor with them. But that book's not out for three, two th- months, three months? Probably two months because I think we're that's assuming, the one after Greater Good. We're assuming Greater Good will come out in February. We're assuming that that'll come out in March. So, and that, yeah, so that'll be March and so then two Engine mo- War. Yeah. So, yeah. if that, so to the, uh, to the errata issue, like if you want to change the doctrine system, You've got you have to wait until that book's out, otherwise you are releasing a book that's already printed and is inaccurate, which for Space Wolves would not be the first time, yeah. hence the Warlord trade table. But well, but I would also and, and I'll I'll say this, like I would feel legitimately terrible for Space Wolf players if Hey, Space Marines are top of the heat for six months. Here's your turn, your turn's coming up. Ah, just kidding, we changed it all. Like I would feel really bad, and that would piss off a lot of space yeah. players. Like, and and again, that's... I don't think the doctrine system itself is the problem. And if anything, you know, what the doctrine system is doing is it's encouraged. I'm seeing more cover being used on the table yes. to try to counteract the extra AP. More cover, and uh, and it's cutting down on the soup list. You know, we only saw one in Imperium the soup list in the top top eight. Um, so like, you're not seeing this, you know. The, the, I'm going to pick and choose the best of this and the yeah. best of that. So it's like, so yeah, like it is, inc- it's doing what they want. It's encouraging mono build lists, which is what people were saying that they wanted. Now they just have to figure out how to fix it to balance things so that they, that they're good because Space Marines should be good, but that they're not just dominating. Yeah. And, you know, it's got to be a little bit of egg, egg on the face of uh, the playtesters for not catching something that, Pretty much everybody saw it. Like, as soon as the book was revealed and read through, everyone kind of hooked onto that. And it was less, it was like a couple of weeks before Iron Hand's army started just tearing up the competitive field. So it's like, obviously, this is an issue. So it didn't get caught. Now, Now we have the perfect demonstration of, yeah, this was a problem. It needs to be addressed. Hopefully, they'll address it. And yeah, I, I, while I, I could totally see them holding off until April to not disrupt another major event, I could also I see your point as to maybe you get it taken care of sooner because you don't want two major events in a row disrupted. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, so going from the competitive scene, we're going to switch over to the LVO Friendly, which we finished tonight. Uh, two more games today, and I had a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. had a blast. Like, I've not had a bad game or a bad opponent no. in the three years that I've gone to this event. Like, I've it's the games have been great. The players are great. The lists are fun. The armies, you know, there's some cool armies. Uh, we've been posting pictures. I've... I took a bunch of video. I don't know how it's going to come out. I still need to work on, like, editing it and stuff. But, um, you know, trying to get in and, like, get videos of these armies. It's just some cool stuff. Like, I love that this event is taking off. Yeah. Uh, Robert did a great job running the event. Yes. So, like, it's – they're putting effort into making it a great event. And so it's it's working. Right. And they had over 80 players and – most of them stuck around for day two. There was a, there were a couple yeah. of drops. I I know part of it was because there was also a pub crawl last night that went out till like what three in the morning. Yeah, and then the round three started at nine. So some of those players, there were some people that soldiered on and played, but man, yeah. I can understand why some people well, didn't. And then I also know like Carlos, my opponent from yesterday uh, from the from day one, uh, they were leaving early. Like they weren't. They signed up for the friendly, like, at the event. Yeah. Because there's open spots. But they're like, we'd already planned, like, we checked out of our hotel on Sunday. We're driving back. So we're going to skip the fourth round because we have to leave. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's, that's legitimate. Next year, you know, next year, you know, maybe, well, maybe they'll schedule differently. But, you know, so I know that, I know that came up. I know that they accommodated a bunch of people. Uh, on the day of to join the event, kind of under the caveat that some of them are going to have to leave early. So yeah, but yeah, for the most part, everybody stuck around. Like, and everybody, you know, everybody seemed like they were having a really good time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll start with my my game three. Uh, my game three was against Garrett Bunzel, uh, and I want to go ahead and say this: Garrett Bunzel took best overall. Yes. Now he did not have the best winning record, but this also included Hobby, and he had a very nicely painted Katachin army, mm-hmm. and he had a very good sportsman sh- sportsmanship score. I put him down as my favorite opponent. Yep. We had a blast of a game, uh, and it came down to the wire. Like we were, we pretty much finished up. We finished up three turns because he had a Katachin army. We're playing casually. There's a lot of he had a lot of bodies on, yeah. on the field. But we finished three turns, and uh, I ended up winning 12-10. But, so basically, he had um, six, uh, six infantry platoons. Two of them had – all of them had uh, missile launchers as the heavy weapons team. And then he had – and two of them had flamers, two had plasma guns, two had melt-a-guns. So he had, a little, you know, stuff to deal with a little bit of anything. He had two, three, three base uh, heavy weapons teams with missiles. He had two mana cores, two hellhounds, a vulture gunship, a couple of Ministorm priests, a unit of Ogren, or maybe in Bulgren, and uh, he had Iron Hand Straken, Colonel Harker, and uh, like I said, a couple of, and then a couple of Ministorm priests, and a 29 strong blob of conscripts. Nice. And. Uh, I, and I'm looking at this like, that is a lot of bodies. Oh, and uh, a unit of three scout sentinels with heavy flamers as well. Ooh, yeah. okay. Uh, so he, lots and lots of bodies to deal with. And I'm running a relatively small elite army, you know, with the eight and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and stealth suits and stuff. You know, I don't have a single troops choice. I don't have, you know, it's like, um, so 
in those three turns, uh, I mean, he, he controlled his section of the board very well. I kept him from getting into my deployment zone. Um, there were only at Slight Marbo as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so he had a very fluffy, like he basically took oh, yeah. everything that was cat, that could be Catachin into Catachin. It, w- it was very good. Um, Hellhounds explode wonderfully because they blow up on fours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had one, like, I hit two of his scout sentinels exploded, which only do one mortal wound within three inches. But when the second one went up, it was killed by the ghost kill that was within three inches of it and had one wound left. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, but, uh, what the game came down. So, like, la- the last round we played, he had he was at 10 points. I was at, like, 6 or 7. I had managed to lure, like, I, so I shrugged off 100, like, 120 shots or some, like, something like that from the conscripts because he did first rank fire, second rank fire at a unit <laughs> of stealth suits in cover. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I took no wounds from that, which Ooh. was amazing. And then I spent the next couple of turns basically trying to burn that squad down to the point where I charged, uh, like, uh, Subcommander Torchstar in and actually assaulted the squad to try to, you know, like, I nice. got it down to like about seven or eight models and then yeah. sent her in just to, to beat on them a bit more. And that, but Straken, I, uh, I learned has a six inch heroic intervention. Yes. So, so he got in, like, I also had, uh, I said Commander Ericon, I think, in there as well. Ericon got cut down by Straken pretty quickly. Uh, Torchstar hung around for two, like two full battle rounds, to and just managed to tie up Straken because he didn't want to back Straken out, right? Because then Straken would be right out in the middle. And I, I even like had her jump away at one point and flame him, and then reassault him to to just kind of keep him tied up, mm-hmm. and then. My final turn, it's like my objectives come up, and I've got uh, Kingslayer and uh, overwhelming firepower, and I managed to kill three units in the shooting phase, which gave me D three points from overwhelming firepower. And one of those units was Straken, and how I killed him because he's actually in this spot where there's other non-character units all around, so I have to very carefully position myself to get within, you know, have him be the closest model. So what I ended up doing was doing a crazy suicide charge with Shadow Sun. <laughs> like, actually advanced her out, got within, like, a couple of inches of him, and burned him down with fusion blasters. Nice. And that got me D3 points, and I think I... And I ended up getting, like, five or six points. I got uh five points... I got four points that round, and then I got one more point for line... Uh, for line breaker. No, I don't think anybody had, no, nobody had line breaker, but I got slay the warlord because that was his warlord. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and then I got Kingslayer as well. So yeah, I managed to basically turn it around that last turn and we were both just like on, on pins and needles seeing how it was going to turn out. So nice. it was just one of those games. Like we both had a great time. We were both getting into it and there's a chance he might be coming to Midwest conquest. Oh, that's yeah. Awesome. I've been kind of talking up the event and I've, a couple of players are definitely interested. Yeah, I was I was talking about that too to several players, and I got a couple people I know to to like like our Facebook page and stuff like that, and hopefully listen to this episode. Yeah. Um. So speaking of which, my opponent for my third round was uh, Andrew Bergholt, uh, and yeah, I was he was one of the guys I was telling about like the podcast, and I saw that afterwards that he had gone on and like liked the page and liked a couple of the pictures that we posted to the friendly. So yeah. like that's great. Um. 
he was running an Iron Hands list. Um, and it's a, it's kind of the, the way I describe it, it, it is, it is a version of the competitive Iron Hands list, but it's like one of. So it was one chaplain, one mortis, one unit of eliminators, one unit of primaris with stalker bolt rifles. So it was, it was a tough list. And I knew when I sat down and I looked at the way, especially the way the table was lined up, because we got Vanguard deployment and there was kind of, there were several like rows of like hills or like the styrofoam, uh, yeah, basically hills. Yeah. That, kind of created a couple of trenches. Yeah. So I was able to deploy in my trench, and he kind of deployed in his, and one of us was going to have to come out and go after the other, and he far outranged me. So I was like, shit, this is going to be me that has to push the push this, and I don't want to do that. Um, and I, and, you know, and then, and then he had, uh, you know, he had an air wing, you know, he had a, a raven wing, a storm talon, and a storm hawk. Uh-huh. Um, which... Though two of those three went down very quickly, and then the Storm Raven's really tough to shoot at when you don't have Skyfire. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a very fun list. Uh, it was a very fun, you know, army to play. Great opponent. Uh, had a blast with it. Uh, but it was just kind of an uphill battle. Like, just it was going to be very hard. Everything kind of had to go right. And a lot of things did. I He had three units of Sniper Scouts and the Eliminators, and I took, like, shot out three units of Scouts from a building. You know, dug into cover and then took the building and sat there and just scored that objective for you know, several rounds. Uh, so, like, there were things that went well, but I d- the way I built my list, I don't have enough heavy, uh, you know, high strength, low AP shots. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot of really good anti infantry stuff, but when all of your infantry has, f- you know, six up, feel no pain, that's an extra save. And then, like, things like the dreadnoughts. I just really couldn't do anything with. Like, even when the Demon Prince got into him, you know, strength seven against tough seven, like, that's still not great. Yeah. Um, and that was one where I realized, like, the, the Hellbrute, or not Hellbrute, the Contemptor that I have, the two, the two Power Fists, it's a really fun unit. It hits like a tank, but it does not get into, you know, it does not last to get into melee. Yeah. Um, that could have potentially done some damage if it got into there, but it got shut up by the Mortis before, uh, before it got close. The one thing that was really funny in that round game as well is there were like three different times where he was trying to clear screen units, um, so that he could then shoot at a character. Yeah. So it's like, okay, the demon prince is here, but this one's closer, so I gotta shoot them. So he would go through and he'd shoot the storm, uh, storm raven, everything at them. And then he'd shoot a unit, everything at them. And he was holding the mortis dreadnought last because like, I wanna fire that at the character. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where it was like three different times we shot everything in there and there's like one guy left in the unit. So he then had to take the Mortis Dreadnought because he couldn't fire anything else and fire four LAS cannons into like one dude. So like three different times he just completely obliterated the last guy in a unit with four LAS cannon shots. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's like certainly a theme, you know. It's like, <laughs> we have deleted him from yeah, existence. <laughs> we're going to send uh, – we're going to – well, we're going to figure out what we're going to send back to the parents because there's not anything left. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was just, it was just really funny that, you know, and it was a good strategy because he was trying to clear everything out with the, the lighter shooting and then use that for the big targets and just couldn't do it. It was just kind of funny. Um, the other one that was the game where the Maelstrom mission where you got to recycle one of your, your missions. Yeah, you just, yeah every shuffle time. back in the deck. Um, 
So he kept he got supremacy because he was on three objectives, got that turn one, and then just recycled that. So he got that every single turn. But he managed to redraw it because well, you put it in your hand. You 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 put it back. No, in your I hand. thought you shuffled it back in your deck. No, you you put it in your hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you put it in your hand and then you play. It okay. Because you have a free spot because you've just scored it. Yeah. Um. So he scored twenty eight points, and so he beat me twenty eight to twelve. He rolled no more than a two on any of his rolls for supremacy. He never scored more than two points on it, but he got it every turn. So he got like one point one. He easily could have gotten. He easily could have gotten like thirty five, forty points if he had rolled even halfway decent on on that. Ugh. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> oh, I got smoked, but it could have been so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it was a blast of a game to play. It was a fun. It was a fun list. He even mentioned that, um, you know, he was talking about he was you know he was talking about the chaos list and what some of the stuff that's in the chaos. And he's like, yeah, I might like running like. 20 infantry like space marines sounds kind of interesting i might have to put together a space a chaos list yeah so i was like all right that's cool <laughs> all right and then uh final round i played against carlson rockwell and uh this is a list that's gonna seem really rough to go against but then when you look at it it's actually not that bad because it's not optimized mm-hmm. so first off the centerpiece model of this a knight errant uh, with so the thermal cannon, but only then the heavy stubber, no carapace weapon. Uh, took I uh, spent the command points to make it a character to took to to take sanctuary and ion bulwark, so it had a five up invuln in melee, four up against shooting, uh, and then two armager help, uh, two armager uh, war glaives. Okay, uh, all house ho- hawk shroud, so you know not degrading or degrading at like half speed, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then. A Space Marine detachment, uh, battalion with, uh, three intercessor squads, uh, just with regular bolt rifles, a captain in Gravis armor, a Thunderfire cannon, a unit of eliminators, a scout squad, a Phobos lieutenant, so he could place it with the scout squad, mm-hmm. and also with the unit of eliminators that he had, and then, uh, with a, uh, repulsor that was all like, uh, Heavy Gatling Cannon, regular Gatling Cannon, and uh, Heavy Bolter. So, you know, not a Laz Talon. You know, not 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 a Laz Gun Repulsor, but uh, just a Chain Gun Repulsor, basically. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, the Unit Eliminators. And then a, a Valhallen Guard Battalion. Okay. With uh, three infantry platoons, all with uh, just Laz, can- Laz Guns and Mortars. And then, like, two Company Commanders. And then finally, a Vindicare Assassin. Nice. And so it's like, there's a lot there, but like his Marines are not getting combat doctrines because there's non-Marine stuff in the army. Yeah. Uh, his guard, he took as Valhallen. So he's not, you know, he's basically taking it so they lose half as many to morale. His night house is Hawkshroud. So he didn't necessarily have, I mean, Hawkshroud's got some decent stuff and it, that's the one that gives you like Overwatch, uh, for like their, their big uh, chapter stratagem is uh, Overwatch for other Imperium units. So he's definitely got those around. But you know, it's like, this list is, it's got things that are, that can be scary, but he's definitely not using them in such a way that they are, like, heavily optimized. Very Yeah, and that's, like, so that's kind of like with that Iron Hands list that I faced. Like, it's still a good list. Mm-hmm. You know, Iron Hands are very good. It wasn't like it was super optimized like if that list were you know and sounds like that list too that you're talking about were to go and play in the in the championships it'd go 
one and five. Yeah. Two, you know, two and four, maybe. Two and four, maybe. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful, but it's not like super good. Right. Yeah. And like his knight was named, like it was, it was, it was named Rose and he had it like, yeah. he had them all yeah. in, like warm floral colors. So, you know, so it's like he, Definitely, you know, this was, and his, his, uh, Marines were all like blue and white, one of those like quarter patterns, like on the vehicle and on the, you know, very well painted. Uh, so it was, and he was a great opponent. I was on the, yeah, he went first. I don't think I went first any game this weekend. <laughs> one game I chose to go second because yeah. I wanted to lure my opponent out because I just didn't have any good options. I, think I went second in all my games too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I try to keep stuff as hidden as possible. So he got like a couple of drone units turn one. So he got like first strike, but then my turn one, I popped out of hiding. My dice were cold. Yeah. And, uh, my, but worse, my objective deck. And I had it trimmed down to like 21, 21 cards with the idea of like, if I go seven rounds, I should be able to theoretically, I can yeah. score, I could score everything in here. Sure. I did not score an objective because I got first strike. I did not score an objective card until turn three. Oof. And I only scored five points the entire game. I was tabled turn six. Oof. Uh, you lasted and, longer than I did, though. And we got when we got to turn five, like after turn five, I had one unit of stealth suits on the board still. And at the end, at turn five, he's like, do you want to even continue to a turn six? And I'm like, dude, let's just let it play. Yeah. You know, and we got had, time. Like, yeah. it was great. And like, yeah. And you know, it's like when I was scoring stuff, like he was cheering for me, you know, it was, it yeah. was that kind yeah. of game. And we were reminding, like making sure, like, like I was reminding him of, Absolutely. of his rules, not in a, you're doing this wrong, but like I was reminding him, oh yeah, don't forget you can reroll hey, that. Hey, remember this. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like, exactly. oh yeah. Cause, uh, he took master artisans as, cause he did a build your own chapter. Yep. So he took, uh, the tactical withdrawal, which is, or I think that's the name of it, where it's the ultramarines half of you can fall back and shoot, but at a penalty, and then the half of salamanders that lets you reroll one hit or one attack yeah. and one wound, at you know per turn. And so, like, I would make sure, like, hey, don't forget, you can do, you can get your master artisans reroll. It's like, oh yeah, that, and you know, we do stuff like that. So, um, no, he was great to play against, uh, and it just, I was on the back foot. Like from the get go, yeah. and my and the game didn't, you know, luck did not try to help me out of that. But I was, I was just going to just play it out, and uh, and that's that's the best. I think when you're in a, a down situation like that, you look for little yeah. victories you can take. Like I took out the thunderfire. Like I moved my ghost keel up and took out the thunderfire cannon. I uh, took out one of the armagers. I. Killed, like I made sure to kill the eliminators as early as I could. Um, well, and it's also in a position here where with Maelstrom, you know, as I'll talk about in my next game, you can be solidly getting whipped, but if you're still playing to the missions and playing to the objectives, you can still like keep the game close, yeah. you know, keep it within reach um, until you get so far your butt kicked so badly that you can't. Well, and, and Robert, but, the TO, yeah. like even mentioned like after like dear, after first round, he's yeah. like. 
Hey guys, I noticed looking at the scores and walking around the tables, you guys are getting fixated on taking out your opponent's mm-hmm. army and not playing to the missions. You remember, play yeah. to the missions, play the Maelstrom cards because that's how you earn points. Yeah. And then at the end of the event, he said, so I looked at the scores after turn, after round one and, and I noticed all, went up. all yeah. of them went up because you were all playing to the missions. Yeah. And so, yeah, the Maelstrom is a completely different beast. And one of the conversations I had with Garrett, my, uh, uh, my third turn, third so round yeah, op- yeah. opponent was that the eight and, and the list I had would be absolutely terrible in an ITC environment. Yes. It's too many characters. I like, there's so many things that I give up yeah. that you can just, you know, there's so many points I can give up and the eight are not optimized commanders at all. The two best suits in there are the Riptide and the Broadside, because they're actually built in a way that people would use. Because you don't build... I mean, because there's only, like, two options. Yeah, no. (laughs) And they're both good options. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's absolutely... But, like, like, none of the commander suits are built in such a way that you'd use them. Farsight, I love him. He is a garbage commander, because he is a close... The problem is he's a close combat commander that is built to deep strike, but has no, like, reroll charges or anything like that. Has no support. He has, has no support, support yeah. at all. Um, and so, like, in a competitive sense, he is not good. The eight are not good. The army I took is not good, although the stealth the stealth element will stymie somebody because, as yeah. we know, minus ones, minus twos to hit are very good. Absolutely. Um, but, but that said, in, a, in an event like this where maybe I want to drop somebody near an objective. Maybe I need to drop somebody yep. so I can clear clear an enemy off of an objective or, you know, it's all about it's all about target priority with a unit like with an army like this and knowing like what I need to do to try to get points. In that case, I went 2 and 2. So, yep. uh I think, you know, it's a it's I I'm a little hamstrung by taking the 8, but at the same sure. time it's an army that I think plays well to Maelstrom. And it shows that Maelstrom is a very different beast. A friendly yep. environment like this is a very different beast than ITC missions, which themselves are a different beast from the Eternal War missions in the, yep. in chat, you know, in, in, like, in the books, in yeah. chapter approved. Yeah. So it's like the mission structure changes how armies play a ton. And yeah, then absolutely. knowing to play, and just like an ITC, you play to the mission, you build your army to play, to be able to play to secondaries and to not give up secondaries. So playing an army that is good at being able to move around like a gunline army, not good in Maelstrom. You need something that can go cap points because that's where you're, unless you can decide, because you build your deck before pl- objectives get placed. So you yeah. can't even say like, well, I'm only going to try to hold objectives like one, two, and three. Because yeah. one might be way across the table because you Absolutely. don't get, you might not get to place it. Yeah. No, and you don't know where your deployment zones are going to be either. Yeah, exactly. So you don't know where you, yeah, you don't know any of that where you're going to be at. No, it, it is definitely a different beast. Uh, and that's good. Like I, I like that they, that they do it differently, that it is a different feel. Yeah. Um, like one of the things that we talked about towards the end was when they were totaling up, and I'll talk about my game here in a minute, but when they were totaling everything up, they didn't do it off a win loss record. They did it off of battle points. Yeah. So the person who I think had the most overall battle points, I don't think went four and oh. I think it was somebody that went, I, I say that and I have it pulled up. Um, uh, based, uh, no, it was Ted Lewis went four no. Oh, okay. But second place went three and one. Third place went two and two. Yeah. But because he had uh, two, get his two wins were twenty seven and twenty seven. Yeah, like there were several people that went three and one that finished like outside of the top ten because they didn't score as many. They didn't score as many points. 
as which, the guys that want like two and two. Which, which you know, I, I have I have some concerns about that just because Maelstrom can be very swingy on points. It sure. is not like ITC where you could do it based theoretically on battle points because every game's worth like you could the same. You can only max out to like forty two points. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you have somebody with like three forty point games and somebody with three thirty point games, the forty point. Yeah, even if they both win their games, yeah. the 40-pointer is going to be ahead because they – but you know how yeah. many points they could have earned. What I do like about this though and, – and again, this is something we'll discuss about for our event. What I liked about it is you're decoupling like the winning from like – you're encouraging people to play the missions because you're decoupling winning the games and add more like encouraging to go play to the maelstrom, play to the objectives and – I think that creates that can create more entertaining games. Yeah. So, and again, when you're trying to in a friendly environment like this, you're not trying to reward the most win at all cost player. You're trying to reward having fun. Yeah. So I I can understand it. I don't know that we'll make that change or not. Yeah. But I think it's a very interesting idea um, to do it based off of that, and not wins. And granted, yeah, the person who wins more games tends to have more points, so it does mostly come out in the wash. But it was very, um, it was very interesting to see how the scores, you know, didn't always reflect the win loss. Yeah. So, uh, my fourth game was against Nick Janowski. <laughs> which, if that sounds familiar, that's because that's who you played in the last round <laughs> at of the Renegade Open. Open friendly. Yeah. Yeah. It is basically the same list. Uh, that was at with 15- more stuff. That was at fifteen hundred. So this was at you know this is at two thousand. We both had added more things because we had five hundred points, and because chapter approved helped both of the armies out. Yeah, it, it was just, it was you know it was, it was a fun game. Like Nick's a great guy to play against. It was you know we were having a blast. Uh, we got hammer and anvil deployment, uh, which is really good for him. And he went first, and he was on me, top of one in assault, and had killed like a couple units in assault on turn one. It was it was so bad <laughs> that at the top of turn two, he was thinking critically about. If I assault this person, I do this, and I make this charge and this, I can wipe you off the board, top of two, and your deep strike doesn't even come in. Like, he was also trying to, like, there's a, a, a Harlequin stratagem that uh, is, and I forget what it's called, it's one of their unique ones. You score one victory point if your warlord is alive at the end of the battle. You score an additional D3 victory points if your warlord is alive and your opponent's warlord is dead. And then you score an additional three victory points if your warlord killed their warlord. So it's like potentially it's worth seven victory points uh, by itself. And uh, he kept trying to like position it. But with Alpha Legion, you have to kill everybody to get rid of the warlord. Like you have to kill all the characters. And I have five characters in my list. So it was – he was trying to – you know, to, to – he was trying to, like, figure out a way to kill this guy, and then who would I bounce the Warlord to next to kill that guy in melee to then go to the air so that his Warlord could kill him? It was it was really funny. It was kind of, you know, funny seeing those gears turning. But uh, even though it was this big, like, swirling melee, and he killed a lot of my army in the first couple of turns, um, because I kept playing to the missions, uh, it was tied, like... 7-7 seven, seven going into, like, the last, like, into, like, the fourth round. Yeah. Like, it was tied. It was very even. But what ended up happening is that I was down to, like, two units, and he had, like, several of his units. And it just became a numbers thing, and he was able to overwhelm me. Um, and ended up tabling me and won uh, 19-10. to 10. 
but it was still a very close game. Like that, that reflects kind of that last couple of turns where the scores kind of got out of hand. Well, I um, like the the story he told me about how you moved across the table, yeah. and moved back to the point where at the end, yeah. <laughs> so we were playing hammer and anvil, uh, and and we were in this uh, the middle of the three tables on our setup. So there was games on either side of us, and they all had the same urban uh, F, uh, FLG mat. So yeah. it was all the same mat. So it did kind of it was kind of hard at a glance to tell exactly where it ended, but. Um, we, you know, we had everybody ran to the middle and we fought in the middle and then it kind of pushed into my deployment zone because he had to get my Havocs and some of my backline stuff. And then I deep struck by Terminators on the, on his deployment zone. So then the whole battle shifted back. So it was this kind of like shift to the middle, then one way and then all the way back to the other. We were down fighting towards the end of the game on this one corner, on this one end, to the point that the guys that were next to us started picking terrain up off of our table because they didn't realize that we were still playing, that we were, that it was on our table because we were all down playing on, you know, a two by two, a two by four area on the other end of the table. (laughs) Uh, so that was funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a really fun game. Uh, you know, Harlequins are a fun army to play. Like they, they get into melee, which I like. So like they're willing to get up on you and, and fight. Um, there was a stratagem with my berserkers, so you, berserkers fight twice, right? You know, fight and then you fight, and then there's another stratagem called the Fury of Corn, where at the end of the fight phase, you can pick a unit to attack with a third time or another time. Mm-hmm. If that had not been at the end of the phase, if I could have done that at any point in the fight phase, I would have totally spent the command points, and I probably would have wiped through like two more, two of his units, or crippled them to the point that they wouldn't have been able to hit me back. But because I, there was basically like four of his units, they, when they got to assault, they came in and they wiped through my berserkers because Harlequins are deadly in combat. Yeah. If they get the charge, if they can go. So, um, yeah, it, it, the game easily could have turned a couple different times. Uh, but it was a blast. It was a great, you know, it was great fun to play. It wasn't nearly as epic as the Shadow Seer exploding and killing everything like it was last time. Although it was really funny is that both Shadow Seers, because he added a second, both of them perilsed at different Again. points. But neither one of them blew up. Okay. And I was like, oh, come on. We're like, yeah. just He's like, yeah, for old time's sake, I wanted him to die and blow up as well. But <laughs> didn't happen. Yeah, and it's funny. Like, we had lunch before fourth round. Yeah. And you guys found out, like, you're both, like, right next to each other in rankings. Yeah. And we're and like, even though it's kind of been random. Semi-random, yeah. You were like, well, it'd be funny if you guys end up playing because you're because so, you yeah. had like the same we, same win loss record and like he was, ne- or same battle points, yeah. but he had a better strength of schedule. He was yeah, he was or yeah, he was sixty uh, eighth and I was sixty ninth. We nice. had the exact same yeah, we had the exact same battle points and his strength of schedule was like thirteen point eight five and mine was thirteen five. Yeah, like it was that close. And then so and then like, we get back up there and, and they do pairings was, and we're like. And then I, like, I just like look over and I just laugh yeah, and I'm like, like, it happened. It happened. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Uh, yeah, it was a blast. Uh, so yeah, so finally, like I said, uh, Garrett Bunzel took best overall. Yep. I think it was Ian Dowdy with an absolutely beautiful, uh, yes, Astra Militarum army. Yes. Complete with like a big display board. The models were amazingly well painted, very good detail. There were some and just exceptional painting jobs. That one. So the, uh, the one that, and I kind of looked at them, you know, when when they put all the armies out, the to, top to armies, show them, yeah, you know, for that for for the uh, uh, for the painting, 
And obviously that White Scars list, if you if you follow our Facebook page, there's a beautiful White Scars army that was there. And that was the one I looked at, and I'm like, well, that that's clearly the one. That's the best one. But when you start looking at that Astromilitarum list, like you start seeing the detail and the work in there, and I'm like, oh, okay, no, this is really good. So it's like both of them were very good. And, and, they, and they talked about like the the – so – Robert is like one of the paint judges for LVO. Yeah. In fact, one of the things he was running around doing on Saturday was Friday and Saturday was paint judging yep. for LVO. Um, the second paint judge they brought in was the guy that won the hobby track last year. So the yeah. technically the best painter in the LVO. And then Kenny Boucher from like Next Level Painting yeah. brought, they brought in to do. So th- what they say, something like 120 years of combined painting experience yeah. judging these armies. So it came down and they said, he said it came down to minutia. Yeah. Which any good painting competition should. Like you, st- as we've talked with Alex before, you don't look at the things that are right. You look at yeah. the things that are wrong because everything yeah. else will look like so but yeah but yeah it was between uh there was also an absolutely beautiful dark angels army who's played by uh kevin barrett I yes think, yeah. uh, who i played two years ago yes and his army was already looking very good he's got a beautiful metallic mm-hmm. like you using like green candy paints yeah uh, but he does like his power armor in that and then his vehicles are all like tan and brown camo yeah. Like digital camo. Yeah. So it was very, yeah, very interesting army. Very good. Very and then that thing. White Scars yeah. bike army was so, so good. Yeah. Like, so, so the hobby, the hobby level, the paint level, the, the conversions. We talked earlier about the orc army that had all of the different conversions. Yeah, I think that buggies. was James Johnson who and did that. Yeah. One. Who finished second overall and I think third in paint. Because there was a little or bit of a or like fourth. Well, there was there was a little bit of a thing. Well, he's also they, fourth in like overall po- or like battle points. Yeah. So there was a little bit of a thing where they were giving out the prizes, and then he they realized that he had gotten like I think third in planning and like second overall. So they like switched his prize. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it was kind of funny. Um, and then Ted Lewis got best general with have, with uh, eighty six battle points. Yeah. Yeah. So. And they unfortunately did not have an award for best sportsman, even though they did yeah. collect sportsman scores. And uh, Robert explained that that was just because would, those were the plaques he was given. Those are the awards I would like he to was officially given. file a protest right now. <laughs> which, which by doing that, knocks me out of best sportsman. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> but yes, so we took a look. That all the soft scores were posted, or at least the sportsmanship scores were. So, so let, let's. I want to go through and, and explain like the background of how we're doing this because we looked at it and you pull it up on BCP and you get the final standings. And it's the hard scores. You know, it's the battle points. Yeah. Okay. And I found myself and I was like, I was kind of joking to Rob that I'm, I was 50th and he was like 62nd or something. I'm like, and it's because I scored, even though I went 0-4, I scored more battle points in some of my games than he did. So I was like, ah, you know, I, I went 0-4 and, and I finished way ahead of you. Yeah. And then we flipped over I'm like, oh, there's the overall zone. So we flipped over to that and we found Rob. I'm like 32nd. And he's like 32nd. And I was like, well, I got to be around there somewhere. Or and 40 second. Kept, yeah. 40 second. And we kept scrolling through and we couldn't find me. And we're like, well, what's going on? It turned out that I finished sixth overall, which is crazy to me. Because you went 0-4. Because and I went 0-4 and, and like – Only be, one of your games was like more than like 10, 12 yeah. points. And, so. and I'll be honest, like my painting is like not great. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's – you know, I'll be honest. So we looked at it and we started looking at the soft scores and I, I – they. So what we did for sportsmen is at the final round, you were given a sheet of paper and you write down your favorite opponent from favorite to least favorite. So one, two, three, four. And, and you and, just ranked them. And, and they also you know, made clear that yeah. play, it doesn't necessarily mean you didn't like the player. It's just eventually you have to pick somebody yeah. who's your favorite. Because it was, it was a combination of sportsmanship, army theme, 
and uh, paint, I think, and like kind of like you know, something like that. Because it was like yeah. three three criteria that you. Oh, it was, uh, it was fluff. Is what fluff. It was. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of like encompassing the soft scores. Yeah, and, and when they say and, army theme, like how was the army more casual or more competitive? Yeah, like a more yeah. competitive army should not get sure. go as high yeah. in a friendly. So we got through and we put all this, and then it went into the scores, and you basically scored forty points if you were one. 30 points if you were 2, 20 points, 10 points, etc. And and they did mention that nobody scored the bare minimum of 40 points, which meant everybody was like somebody's... I think the lowest I've seen in here is like a 60. Yeah, so like everybody was like somebody's like... Favorite. Everybody, you know, like there wasn't one person that was like everybody's least favorite game. Like, right. So everybody was having a good time with it. There was one person who got, for some reason, and I don't understand this... That got favorite opponent in all four of their games. And that was you. And I, yeah, I still don't understand that. I, that's awesome. I'm glad. But I, I, I was shocked. I was, I'm still kind of like, I don't, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> well, and I think under the grounds of, A, you are a great person to play against. Yeah. And you try, you know, you make sure to have a good time. You don't get salty. You, yeah. you keep playing it out, even if it's turning against I haven't won a game you. in two years. I can't be salty at this yeah. point. <laughs> um <laughs> See, those who can those who can do and those who can't talk about it on podcasts. Exactly. Uh, but um, the uh, but then also you had a fan your army has a fantastic theme. It and does. it's not just yeah. that it you're not just Alpha Legion, you are yeah. specifically Alpha Legion, you are thirty K Alpha Legion caught in the warp and yeah. <laughs> and so you you've got that theme, you've got fluff behind it. Yeah. And yet, and also your list, it's infantry alpha legion yeah. without cult, or like you Which do is, have, I do you have, have cultists, cultists, yeah. But it's, it is a very fluffy alpha legion list, like, and it doesn't double down on, like, the, since it is a 30k list, it doesn't double down on, like, the demon stuff. It doesn't have disco lords, it doesn't have obliterators, it doesn't, technically it has a demon prince, but that's because that's the closest approximation I could use to, for Alpharius, and I was not going to do a 30k alpha legion army and not use the awesome Alpharius model I have. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, yeah, it, it it fits the theme. It, I mean, it got stomped in the friendly, so it's absolutely not a good list. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but it fit the theme and it, and it played a certain way. And uh, yeah, like no, like I'm, I figured that I would be, you know, I figured I would have good scores in that. That that's insane to me to see that of like of all of the people there that were there having a good time that had great themes that had great armies that I was the only one that got like ev- that maxed out that score that seems that seems crazy to me (laughs) and at the same time like so i got a hundred yeah but also the player i played first round did not come back for day two and i think that was because i know she had been talking about how she was going to do the pub crawl and as we mentioned it didn't finish till three and i can imagine deciding not to carry it so no, so your score it was definitely dropped down because of that yeah and and i know that there were some other people that dropped and that may have affected the scores as well um so I got lucky. The person that I you know, Carlos, that I played round two, came back to. He put- did drop, but before, but he let Rob know that Robert know that he was going to drop, and he had him fill out me. like rank his opponents. Yeah, so he went ahead and ranked his opponents and filled out all the scores. So, um, yeah, so like I that that was awesome. Like didn't get a plaque or a prize or anything, which is fine, no big deal. But I you know, wasn't expecting anything. But I, I was. That's awesome. Like that 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 actually means a lot to me because. Being able to play in an event like this and have fun and make, and know that other people are having fun. That's what that's, they, that's what that's why you play this. Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm here for this game. Yeah. If I wanted to go be salty and also get stomped, I'd go play in the championships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that is another, uh, another LVO in the books. Yeah. Our, this is our third one running. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blast. It was, it was great. Yeah. 
And, you know, always it's great to, to run into regular, you know, run into friends here. And yeah. it, it, it is something that we have made enough connections now that like we can just, and it's not, I'm not trying to like brag, like, look, we've got connections, but yeah. no, but that we've met enough people yeah. in the, over the years of doing this, like we're just walking through the casino and like, Hey, there's Chase Garber and people like, yeah. waving high yeah. and, you know, like Reed Stowe and Myatt Root and, you know, Pablo Martinez, you know, yeah. and, uh, I can't recognize by a Warhammer hero. Like, how does, I mean, that's yeah, great. Jay- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's just like, you know, we sat down to breakfast and like yeah. Jason comes in, we just wave him yeah. over and then like Nick comes in, yeah. we wave him over and it's like, we just got four of us sitting there. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's that, again, you don't have to come to this to be a 40k fan. Yes. But if you're a 40k fan long enough, you will meet people, you will interact with people, and you will make good friends doing this, and you will be surprised how yeah. how often you see them. Mm-hmm. And if you can get out and come to events like this, you will, like, if you haven't made friends already, you will. And yeah. it can start at a regional tournament and, you know, maybe follow somebody online, uh, you know, like, you know, read their, read their stuff online, yeah. get onto Facebook groups, you know. Instagram is a bunch of people that paint on Instagram. Like that's yeah. a great source to follow to see what people are doing. Like yeah, yeah. I, there's a there's a million ways to engage with this hobby, and you know I I want people to encourage people to do that. The great thing about an event like this, like if you this is you know this is one of the bigger conventions, obviously. If you get a chance to go to a Nova or an Adepticon or a Midwest Conquest <coughs> or LVO. Or Renegade, you know, or, or Renegade, or Halo. Yeah. You know, try to come to these because there's so much that's outside of just the competitive 40k play, especially at, like the big ones like Adepticon, Nova, and here. You can come and take painting classes and just walk around the uh, walk around the games and see what's going on. Play in you demos. Know, you can play in demos. You can play in these other games. You can do painting competitions. You can come play in a friendly, you know, play in the friendly tournament. Uh, Tim, my first round opponent. He has said that this is the second tournament he's ever been to. Last year, the first one being last year's friendly. Yeah. So it's like absolutely not a competitive player, but like he's able to find like he found this. It's like no, this is fun. I, I, I like coming to this. So you can come and you can have fun, even if you're if you're intimidated by getting into a you know seven hundred, eight hundred person tournament, and you don't think that's something you want to do. That's fine. Come to this, and there's so much other stuff as well. And so. If maybe or a narrative, they have narrative there's events. Narrative as events. Well. There's 30k. There's you know there was APOC games. Kill like, team. Kill team. Yeah. There's so much. Like there's just so much you can do, and it's so fun to be here. It, it's such an amazing experience. Yeah. So uh, you don't have to come here to be a 40k fan, but but I highly recommend the experience. Hi- yeah, absolutely recommend the experience of at least like tracking down some large some larger event and attending. Yeah. And. The people that run these events, their concern, their paramount concern is making sure that everybody has a good time. Yes. That's, that's really what it is about. So, Absolutely. you know, don't feel intimidated. Come check it out. Even if it's just like buy a one day pass, yeah. walk around, check out the dealer's room, go like walk around through the hall yeah. during the tournament, you know, just kind of see what all's going on, get a feel for it. And yeah, just have a good time. Well, that wraps it up. Hopefully we'll be back next year. Yeah. So from both of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob. I'm Kevin. Good night, good gaming, and come back to Las Vegas in 2021.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.